Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Zena Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers, free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films, Fetish, Sweetener, and Run, and their documentary, Drag, The Most Targeted Art Form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film, Group, is currently on the festival circuit, and very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now... Back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the further, discussing the 2015 supernatural horror film, Insidious Chapter 3. This film was written and directed by Lee Winnell. Insidious Chapter 3 precedes the Lambert haunting chronologically, acting as a prequel to the previous two entries in the franchise, and telling a new story featuring a new cast of characters along with a few familiar faces. With an eerie atmosphere and well-crafted sequences, an expansion on the lore of the further, and a surprisingly emotional heft, this film would become a box office success despite mixed reviews from critics and would provide a breath of fresh air for the continuing franchise. So, Insidious Chapter 3, what were your first impressions on the film? I'm trying to remember the first time I seen it. I know we watched it together. I just don't remember when. Well, I think it was only once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, watching it for the show. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's Insidious Chapter Three. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's it's. <laughs> yes, that's the title of the picture. It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, what? What were we talking about again? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not bad. It's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty decent movie. It's a but you did like you stated before at the intro. It's a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, or can we say origin story? Maybe and in, in one regard, in at least. one way, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, which that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, there was there was some things the movie did that that I was like, oh, all right, all right. Then there was other things that I did that was like, oh, and <laughs> then, you know, it just um, I for me being at the third so far that we've gotten into the series um, or the set of films, 
the for me it's not the strongest of the three mm-hmm. so far that we've covered. This is definitely the weakest one for me, but it's it's still pretty decent. You know what I mean? It does what it was supposed to do, and I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> a glowing endorsement, right? <laughs> if I've ever heard one, let's yeah. go into that reading room. Let's <laughs> <add on. laughs> no, I mean, I I get what you're saying fully because I I feel like. I feel like we're probably all on the same page. Um, I've seen the first Insidious probably an appalling amount of times. Mm-hmm. I've seen the second one, not as much, but quite a few times. This one, like I said, we only watched the once. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I saw it that one time and was like, okay, like I'm, that's fine. You yeah. know, it didn't, because the first, the first Insidious, the first time I saw it completely blew me away. And the second one we talk about a lot is such a great companion to the first Mm -hmm. that maybe expectations because I do enjoy this franchise so much. Maybe they were too high. I don't I don't know there. I have issue with some of the character development. I do enjoy the aspect of it being a prequel, us getting Mm -hmm. to revisit a character that everyone loves yeah everyone loves this character and Mm -hmm. is nice seeing them again and getting to spend time with them again but i miss the lamberts yeah i'll say that yeah um i feel like to me they're such a big part of this franchise and so they were missed i'm not going to count that against it because that's not the story that we're telling with this but i did miss them and i feel like a big part of the first two films is this familial element of this family that is going through a hard time, <laughs> but they all really love each other and you feel that. Yeah. And we're introduced to this new family and you don't feel that <laughs> at all. No. And yeah. So again, I, I just, it's a little more formulaic. We were talking off mic before. And I think that that's probably my issue with it. I want to be clear that I don't dislike this. I yeah. still feel like it's fun. There are a few really honestly great moments. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's not the same caliber of Insidious film for me. There's just that element of, I don't want to say paint by numbers, but kind of. Yeah. And it's so astonishing to me because it's it's still Lee Winnell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wrote the first two. Like, I don't, I just don't, <laughs> like, I don't get what happened. I don't, it's, and again, it is not bad. It is still really fun. I love getting to hang out again with that character, but it's just like this is it does not feel the same to me. It just doesn't feel the same. I I definitely agree with both of you. Uh Insidious has always been one of those franchises that was very special to me. Yeah. yeah. I remember watching the first one in 2010 in theaters. Yeah. 19 years old, scared the hell yes! out of me. <laughs> and it was surprising that it scared me so much. Yeah. And I loved it. I love that feeling. This classic haunted house ghost story with mm-hmm. some like poltergeisty elements. And yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And um, obviously, this film was how canonically Lee Winnell became one of my best friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you recall, way back in episode 23, when <laughs> in 2010, he followed me on Twitter and yep. we had one or two interactions. Yeah. <laughs> best friends. Best friends. But the franchise became even more important because if you both recall, This was what Jules and I talked about, one of our first topics, Mm -hmm. because they had asked to do an art piece for us. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And it was based on Insidious. It's still on our page if anyone wants to go see it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so this franchise took on an even more important feeling for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And so just the idea of an Insidious film to me, it already becomes this super special thing. Right, right. And my friendship with Lee Winnell aside, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that this this is this is a very decent directorial debut. Right. Yeah. And it's playing in the sandbox that he created. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, he talked about it in interviews a lot about it being easy to just get into this world. Yeah. I think it's interesting the way that he deals with some aspects of this world, because there are elements of the further that we learn about that are not discussed in the first two right yeah because the way that it works in this film is not how it worked in the first two no so it's and maybe that's part of yeah, why i'm like wait what yeah. it's it's a little <laughs> interesting because it takes on at least for this film and they they always talked about wanting to do like insidious as this classic ghost story style film right this is that yeah, yeah. because there is no element of astral projection no yeah that's not in this at all there's there's more of just like uh, spirits moving around. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so that's interesting in its own way to where the further can take on this kind of element and it's not always that you have to dream. Yeah, yeah. Okay, see that, that you saying that, that makes me feel a little better because I was like, I was like, I don't understand. The rules here don't apply like they do in the other movies. And they don't. I was like, this is different. I was like, what is, what is different about this scenario then? And then even at that, if this is before that, mm -hmm. this lore doesn't carry over. Or this, like the interactions or the way things work don't carry over to the other movies. Or do they? Or do, They're like, look, time's changed. Yeah. <laughs> Here and there. Yeah. As we've learned, this is a few years. <laughs> a few years. Yeah, a few yes. vague years before the Lambert haunting. You got to shake the hand when you say few. Yeah, a yeah, few. Yeah. A few. Yeah. We're still figuring it yeah. out. <laughs> but I mean, and I think that's interesting because it really could have just been a rehash of right the first two easily yeah just yeah. with a different group of people mm -hmm. and so it is a little ambitious to be like you know we'll tell a, not only a completely different story but different methods through which we even get to the further yeah elise has her own methods that just are you know her thing it's out of yeah. the world <laughs> <laughs> it's it's unbelievable um but i think <laughs> for me I appreciate the boldness of taking that choice to make it a prequel. Right. And I'll talk a little bit more about why he did that in the little production section of our intro. Okay. But I also really appreciate the aesthetics of the further. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah. They're always going to be really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Less fog this time. Well, James Wan's not yeah. here. That's oh, true. yeah. <laughs> it was a bit much, right? Yeah. Let's, He's let's here know, for a second. Let's dial that back. Yeah. <laughs> but if James shows up on set, we're going to add a lot yeah. more. We need to put more fog in here. Um, I do, and Joseph Bashar's score. Yeah. Always, yeah. It's always great. I will say his score is much different in this one than the other two. It mm. feels more subdued. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot more moments of sentimentality. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. And not just in the score, but in the narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was always, like you said, about this familial dynamic. But I think that this one really has a surprising emotional weight to it. Okay. Yeah. There are a few scenes, I'm not even going to lie, dude, that I got a little uh, teary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and I will say, especially because when I saw it in theaters for the first time, it was just coming off of a very, like serious and personal thing that our family was going through mm -hmm. and so i was very extra attached to this idea of uh 
person and their mother and all that. Yeah. And so I think that it hit a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated this emotional depth of feeling that I got from at least the third act. Right. And there are quite a few interesting sequences. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of, and I was surprised by a couple of the misdirected scares. Okay. Because you think that something's coming from a certain way and it does not. Yeah. 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 But I will say that it does kind of rely a bit on this jump scare feeling Mm -hmm. with the musical sting. Yeah. Which isn't really my bag. But there are quite a few eerie visuals where there's no music at all. Yeah. Yeah. And those stick with you a lot more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, returning characters. Yeah. We love to see them. We'll talk about them more after our spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. And... uh, no, I, I, I appreciate this movie a lot. I, I just don't. It, it's exactly as you said. It just doesn't reach the heights of the first two. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult. It honestly is difficult for it to because that one two punch of chapter one and two. Yeah. It's incredible. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. And it forces you to want to watch them back to back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one you're like, eh, well, OK, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get around we'll to watch it. it the once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I did want to talk a little bit about the production. I did watch a making of featurette where they had a lot of interviews with the cast and uh, Lee Winnell, of course, and Jason Blum, who produced this. Hmm. Oh, all right. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But um, it was always interesting for me that they took it with the prequel route. Okay. Because I I was thinking of Randy Meeks where he's like, you know, the trilogy takes it back to the beginning. Yeah. Something that wasn't right back then. It comes back to bite you in the ass or whatever. But this, they took it entirely back to the beginning Mm -hmm. for the prequel. And it does, in some ways, recontextualize the present, but it's more kind of this origin story for a character. Yeah. Or at least a return to form. Yes. And that is actually the genesis of the idea for Lee Whannell because of how much he loved writing this character. He was thinking almost of the mentality of like the stereotypical Western where they go and find the old gunslinger and they bring him out of retirement. And he's uh, like, no, okay. I don't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shooting whiskey. Yeah. And then he does it once <laughs> more. And he does it again. <laughs> and probably dies. But <laughs> you know, it's part of it. It's the story. Yeah. yeah. But um, that's that was his starting point. And he had known that they were going to do a chapter three, uh-huh. but it was intended always for, of course, James Wan to direct it. Mm-hmm. But James Wan couldn't direct because he was directing, I believe, Furious 7 or Fast 7 or the Fast and the Furious 7 or whatever the fuck. Is that when they go to the moon? Uh, yes. All right, all right. right. I know one of them, right? Yes, they drive to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They Tokyo I, drift to the yeah, moon. Yeah, oh, there you cool. go. Get it yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's, the thing is, is, I think that there's some kind of like legality against them using the title the same. So that's why all of them are like Fast 5, the Fast 5. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whatever. It's like, what the furious fuck is Furious and Fast. Yeah. 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 It's like, wait, what? <laughs> too fast, too furious. Yeah. It's like, why are all these different? Right, you're driving too fast. <laughs> yes. These all sound the same, but they're different. They're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're just, just slightly. Slight yeah. tweaks so you don't have to pay somebody, I think. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, anyway, after James Wan was busy, yes. <laughs> they, they, of course, their second choice was Lee Winnell. Okay. But he was hesitant, according to Jason Blum. But he was like, I'll write the screenplay. Uh-huh. But after he wrote the screenplay, he's getting more into this particular character trying to discover what would make them feel certain ways to give them a little more backstory. Uh And then whenever he's finished with it, he kind of reweighs this option of directing it. And he always wanted to direct. In fact, whenever he and James Wan went to film school together, Mm -hmm. they were both going for directing. 
Oh, okay. And it just so happened that their partnership was writing, directing, acting, and just the way that it went. Right. But Lee Winnell always wanted to be a director. Okay. And so whenever this opportunity presents itself, he's like, I would kind of be a fool to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Not only is this the universe that I created. That's what I was going to say. It's something that you're comfortable with and in because it's you. Right. And so he felt more comfortable in this kind of transition from screenwriter, actor to screenwriter, actor, director. Okay. And it is, I mean, it's it's a very interesting take on this world, this lore and this franchise. It does have a lot of the feeling of the first two with this kind of bare bones classical horror situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This ghost story. Um, I just, uh, you know, and I... Lee Winnell has gone on and I think that the films he's directed since then are um, I, 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 I feel bad saying better than this one because I do like this one. Yeah. yeah. It's not that there's anything that is just like egregious or anything. No. It's not. But when you're in a franchise, you it begs comparison yeah. to the rest of the franchise. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's unfair. I don't think it's unfair. No, because I know people compare the Fast for the Furious. Exactly. And the, yeah. yeah. Two seven Furious. Two, yeah. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo yeah. Furious. Yeah. yeah. Family. That was family. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we steal the light from this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Pod Mortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's go into the further. Now this film somewhat relies on having already seen Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2. If you haven't, we recommend you go watch them or go listen to episodes 23 and 103 of our show as a refresher. So the film begins with a series of production logos accompanied by eerie music. The opening credits follow, gliding in through fog and darkness, until the scorer reaches its signature shriek, and we get the title, Insidious Chapter 3. You love to see it. You Mm -hmm. do. It's like, we're back at it again with a horrifying (laughs) title. I will say it felt oddly less horrifying this time. Okay, I'm glad, I because I was like, that wasn't as (laughs) loud or like in your face. Yeah. Like Like shrill. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, well, this is the beginning. We're getting used to (laughs) scaring the hell out of you. But as the fog begins to dissipate, we get light blue on-screen text reading, a few years before the Lambert haunting, smoke rising from the letters. Yeah. (laughs) So the, uh, so again, okay, so before, mm-hmm. when? Yeah, but, the vagueness was kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> well, they're like, we don't know how many prequels we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, usually you get a date, a time. You do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or even just five years earlier. Yeah, you know what I mean? the, like, yeah, or that. It's just funny that they're like, we're not painting ourselves. Yeah. No. <laughs> this is before, okay? <laughs> so from what I understand, <laughs> Insidious takes place in 2010. Yes. And I think that this one is supposed to take place either 2007 or 2008. Okay. Um, I remember at the time reading an interview with Patrick Wilson that was, he was basically like, don't you think the Lamberts have been through enough? Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, they have. This yeah. is, this is good that they at least get one film, two films break. Okay. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. You know, but we dipped to white fading in to see birds scattering across the sunlit sky as the camera settles in on a suburban street. Quinn Brenner, a teenage girl played by Stephanie Scott, consults a handwritten note in her hand, finding the house that she was looking for. 
So in that featurette, they had talked about casting Stephanie Scott. Mm-hmm. They had said that they had gone through a lot of auditions of a lot of different actresses. Right. And Lee Winnell was very impressed by her ability to adapt to basically whatever he asked of her in a given moment. Okay. Because the audition process included a bunch of different things because the character really does experience a lot in this film. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of fright. There's a lot of uh, fright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they really kind of put her through her paces. But Lee Winnell's big thing that he wanted was to not cast a mid-20 actor to play a teenager. Right. So he Good cast. Yeah. 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 I believe she was 17 at the time. Okay. Well, you can she tell looks she's it. a kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it fits and it does give that authenticity. Mm-hmm. You're not like, that is a 28-year-old yeah. person. Yeah. And she's really good. Yeah. yeah. I will agree. I did see, because I watched a lot of interviews, um, that Lee Winnell had her go see a psychic before um like an actual psychic and she said it was one of the most amazing experiences of her life and that a lot of or everything that he told her has come true all right yeah very cool because people were like oh was it scary and she's like it was amazing yeah (laughs) i saw her in several interviews say that and then she said the same night he had everybody come over to his house and they watched the shining oh that's Uh, great (laughs) they were like so that was a big day for you But as Quinn makes her way through an ornate red awning of a gate, the camera pulls back to reveal a very familiar house. We first saw this house in Insidious Chapter 2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quinn steps onto the porch and rings the doorbell as a dog barks incessantly inside. Peering through the small window in the door is the owner of the house, Elise Rainier, played by Lynn Shay. Lynn Shay, folks. A little commotion for Lynn Shay. Oh, yeah. She's obviously the heart of this franchise. Yes. I think... I don't think I read. It's not my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lee Winnell, this was the jumping off point, was to give Elise more of a backstory. Okay. And it's it's one of those things where it's the end. It's funny because he fucking... (laughs) He did the same thing with Jigsaw and Saw 3 where it's like, ooh, we did this too early. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so this gives him an opportunity. Yeah. And that's the major reason why this is a prequel so we can have more Elise. Right, right. Without having to come up with these shenanigans to make it work. Okay. Yeah. And that aspect I do appreciate mm-hmm. because we did get her in two, but we got a version of her. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I anything with more Lin Shay is good. Absolutely. But Quinn introduces herself when Elise asks who she is and says that she's actually here looking for her. Elise, who does not appear in the mood for guests, calms her dog, Warren, played by Owen the Golden Retriever. We love you, Owen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very pretty dog. Yes. This but that- is a step up from Talk to Me? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's got to be Warren. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. I would think so. Um, it's a little hat tip. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But she does open the door and she introduces herself to Quinn. Quinn apologizes for the intrusion, claiming to have gotten Elise's address from the mother of one of her friends, who said that Elise was a psychic and spoke highly of their sessions together. Elise recognizes the name of her friend's mother, and Quinn said that she actually tried to call first, but the phone number she was given didn't work. She apologizes again for showing up unannounced, but Elise tells her that it's all right, but says that if Quinn is looking for a reading, she doesn't do that anymore. And this is the Western bit. Yeah. <laughs> she takes a shot of whiskey. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this this is such a different vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
than the Elise that we know. Yeah. So I, I thought that that was interesting, but it is pretty cliche, like you were saying, that it's like, just when I think they're out, or yeah. I'm out, you know they what I mean? They pulled me back <laughs> in. Yeah. And there I, was a tumbleweed in back there. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it. It was in the back there. It was a saloon door she yeah. went through. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say it is a bit of a opposite parallel. Yeah. Because if you recall, the first time we met Elise in chapter one, which isn't even the title, I keep calling it that, but it just makes I mean, it, yeah, it, it, well, makes it you, easier. When you call it chapter three. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, every chapter is a chapter. But in that one, the first time we meet Elise, they're opening the door and she's laughing just so jovial. And, yeah. And, bubbly. And, yeah. This time a door is opening and she is not. In yeah. The movie. Shouldn't this be chapter one? Chronologically. Yeah. But okay. Well, I think after calling it chapter two, they really shouldn't have called this chapter three. No. They should have come mm. up with another name. Yeah. Marketing. Like huh. book covers. Oh, come on. <laughs> Insidious. Yeah, something. The book jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but it would still be Insidious three, right? I mean, it is. Uh, yeah, technically. But it's really... Too insidious, too fury? Well, the, yeah. yeah. I mean, James Wan might have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nod to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like Warren the dog is... Yes. All right. Yeah, the Warrens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Quinn offers her $50 for a reading. But Elise says that it's not about money. She just can't. She excuses herself as being very busy. But before she closes the door, she asks Quinn where she came from today. After learning that Quinn came from Whelan Park, Elise remarks that it's quite a long way away. Quinn just shrugs it off, though, saying that it was her fault to drop in unannounced and apologizes again for wasting Elise's time. Quinn's very polite. Yeah. She is. Elise looks Quinn over and immediately begins to soften. She then invites Quinn inside, telling her that a good chat is never time wasted. See, that was nice. Mm Mm-hmm. She understood. She, you know what I mean? And she's like, you know, just come inside. And she's still Elise. Yeah. She's just going through it. Yeah. I, and she would never turn anyone away. No. no. But Quinn steps inside, complimenting the decor as Elise closes the door behind her. They take a seat across from each other, and Elise doesn't waste any time analyzing Quinn. She tells her that she's a smart girl, pointing to the books that she's carrying in her bag, and Quinn shares that she loves to read. But Elise decides to cut to the chase, asking Quinn why she came all this way today. The camera pressing in slowly on Quinn over Elise's shoulder, Quinn reveals that she wants to talk to someone who isn't around anymore. Her mom, who passed away a year and a half ago from metastatic cancer. So there's kind of a clumsy line here uh-huh. that I didn't really like, really. it Okay, so it's it's meant to establish how lovable... Quinn's mom was okay but the way that it's said because Quinn says that uh, I just don't like it at all okay <laughs> in fact I kind of made that whenever she says that I made that Patrick Bateman like ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> jeez that ain't it but she said that the cancer wanted to hang around her just as much as everyone else did okay it, it feels that it feels poetic Yes. In a way that you would read it, but not in a way that you would say it to somebody. Yeah. But okay. maybe, but she's a big reader. So maybe, you know, and we'll get into it later, but Quinn has main character energy. Like, I feel like she, <laughs> in her mind, she is the main character. Yeah. Um, I have some sources that I will cite later. <laughs> but, you know, maybe chalk it up to that. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. A little I, dramatic. I just did not <laughs> care for it. I was like, God damn, it just felt wrong. It felt wrong is what it was. I think that's. I think that sounds about right. It's something you would read. Yeah. That 
Maybe I'm overreacting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the first scene. Yeah, I was like this early in the script. <laughs> like take a point off. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, sorry. But Elise asks Quinn to tell her about her mother. Quinn appears wistful, her eyes finding the memories of her mother and sharing with Elise that her mom was great. Like Jebediah Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But she got along with all of Quinn's friends. She loved old music and was always one for conversation. Quinn tries to stifle her emotions, and Elise gives her the comfort to continue. She leans forward towards Elise, telling her that sometimes it's almost like she can still feel her mother around, and she gives a few examples as Elise nods understandingly. Quinn says that sometimes at night, she'll feel a presence and just wake up, or other times she'll find things in weird places, like her diary won't be where she left it. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Quinn assumes that it all sounds so crazy, but Elise doesn't agree with that assessment in the slightest. She supposes that Quinn has tried to contact her mother on her own, and Quinn readily admits that she's made vague suggestions and requests for her mother to talk to her, but she never does, which is why she's here. How do you know that I've tried to contact her? Yeah. <laughs> like, that would scare the shit out of me. Are there yeah. people around me right now? How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's look, scary. I, like in Final Fantasy, they're just trailing behind her. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? How do you know? I can we turn a light on? <laughs> <laughs> you, calm down. First of all, you can wait Frightened. outside. I'm talking to your friend Quinn. <laughs> <It's really dark. laughs> you can wait on the porch. <laughs> Go take Warren for a walk. I, Jesus. <laughs> I took it as she was more asking her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let me see how you're going to answer me truthfully or not. Because, I mean, Elise already knows. Yeah. Yes. And so, and I mean, the thing is, I think that the way that Quinn is acting is clear that she has. But the interesting thing as well is the reference of her friend's mother. Yeah. So that this shouldn't even really come as a surprise to Quinn and it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. That Elise is like, oh, I know everything. Yeah. yeah. But Quinn says that she just wants to ask her mother a few questions. Elise relates to Quinn's plight, and after a deep exhale, she offers her services, but with a few caveats. Elise says that she can't promise anything. She won't accept payment because she's officially out of this business for good, and she isn't going to conduct this session in her reading room. She then asks Quinn for her mom's name, which Quinn shares and Elise repeats, Lily Brenner. After a sharp exhale, Elise reaches to switch off the lamp next to her. The room in darkness, with the exception of a beam of sunlight piercing through the partially open drapes, she closes her eyes to focus. She calls out and says that she's attempting to make contact with Lily Brenner. Elise asks Lily if she can hear her and to please talk to her. Quinn sits with hopeful anticipation as Elise continues her attempt, but suddenly, Elise makes contact claiming that she can hear someone. Quinn asks eagerly if it's her mother, but with a shaky voice, Elise responds that it is not. Quinn appears concerned as shivering breaths escape Elise's mouth, and she quietly but sternly mutters, go away, over and over again. A low growl emanates from behind Quinn as the camera glides towards the back of her chair in a POV shot, but when she turns around, all she sees is Elise's empty dining room table. But Elise holds her head in her hands, able to will herself out of this state, gasping as her eyes finally open again. She immediately switches on the lamp and catches her breath, apologizing to Quinn, telling her that there was a reason she had to stop doing this. 
Quinnipier is defeated as Elise assures her that there are more people who do this sort of work and she'll have to find one of them to help her. She tells her that she's going to be alright, but warns her never to attempt to contact her mother alone again. Quinn just sighs with a small chuckle, but Elise's warning turns grave. She says that Quinn must be careful. If you call out to one of the dead, all of them can hear you. I would throw up. Yeah. yeah. Because you know that you know that she has been. Like I've been doing that for a year and a half. And <laughs> the fact that she's like, okay, let me try to talk to your mom. Oh God, it's yeah. not your mom. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Don't play with us anymore. <laughs> she just she just takes it she takes the two calm yeah what that i think what would have tipped me off too hmm. was when the voice was like don't talk to elise talk to <laughs> me like, hold on like, Whoa, what the that's fuck that's not right I, I gotta get the fuck out of here yeah, yeah. that's not my mom yeah. yeah and i'm sorry but after elise that's the scariest line i've ever heard in my life and quinn's like all right. <laughs> so you can't talk to my mom? Yeah. Womp, womp. It's like, this is the scariest. Bummer, yeah. dude. And the person who is the professional. Yes. This is what's happening? Yeah. Yes. I'm fucking, I'm done. Yeah. I'm never doing this yeah. again. And that, that pissed me off even more because of what happens immediately. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm sure we all have notes. <laughs> because that night... The camera finds the exterior of a brick Art Deco-style apartment building. Inside, after panning across a photo on Quinn's nightstand of her and her mother Lily, played by Elle Keats, we see Quinn resting in her bed, framed by Christmas lights around her headboard. Great style. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, her room is great. It's fantastic. Yeah, I I believe that this was a teenage room. For For sure. sure. Like, it feels real Mm -hmm. yeah and we'll get to explore it more in some little like cutaway shots yeah but i was just very impressed by the design Mm -hmm. yeah the production designer for the film was actually jennifer spence who we've talked about a lot on this show Mm -hmm. because she's done insidious chapter two she did lords of salem okay oh wow i think she did the nun she did quite a few films in the conjuring universe Mm -hmm. so this is like her wheelhouse yeah and yeah. and you know we all had some stuff to say about the nun but yes nothing oh. against oh the yeah production design not at all because it was beautiful it hell just, yeah that's not where it fell short no <laughs> no <laughs> just to be clear she did her job she yeah, did. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after that meeting with elise and everything that happened during it <laughs> looking up to her ceiling the literal first words that we hear quinn ask into the ether are are you there? Look. Quinn. Great. Here's the, here's the thing. Yeah. I understand the desperation, mm-hmm. the sadness, the grief. I understand it all. Yeah. But this is a long line of characters in horror films not trusting the professionals. Yeah. I would even relent because we talked a lot about this last week with Talk to Me. Yeah. And kind of... um recalling pet cemetery mm-hmm. and the fact that yeah grief can make you do things or feel a desperation that leads you to do things that you would not normally do of right. course my issue is it is this it's the same night presumably mm-hmm. yeah i would love if she doesn't mess with anything and then things start happening and she thinks something right i would even accept that she's a teenager she's grieving you know what i mean like i yeah. can understand the lapse in judgment there but you went from this meeting yeah home and you're like hello <laughs> girl I, I would like a little bit of a search for another medium okay okay that is fruitless i was yeah. like, or a medium that just wants to take that 50 dollars. oh and, yeah and does nothing yeah, okay, your mom's right that, there i see her she's yeah. with you always you know what i mean like 
that would and then she's like oh well Elisa's she's washed up or whatever <laughs> that you know and yeah. this movie is really short it is yeah. this, it could sustain five minutes of this attempt you know yeah. somebody giving her some false hope and then her being emboldened and you know making a stupid decision afterwards that okay i do i do like that because my whole first thing was a character that doesn't listen great yes yeah because yeah. it is immediate mm-hmm. yes right away <laughs> and now i was like what the fuck you you literally just they just told you yes yeah and the interaction that was there didn't even if she was like it's gonna be okay never try to talk yes. to your mom yeah yeah and what again it was the caveat alone yeah Yeah. so let's try to find or we'll talk and she even tells her there's many out there it's just not me she's like i'm gonna do this tonight by myself (laughs) (laughs) i hear what you're saying so this is a real teenager yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it really would have played out better and i would have i think there would have been a different feeling towards the character of quinn Uh yeah if it was just tonight we hear noises Okay, and she's yeah. like, I need to know. Yeah, and it gets to where she needs to do it on her own because there's no other option. Right. Okay. Yeah. But after lying there in silence for a moment, Quinn reacts as if she does hear something, and in a low angle shot, she eyes a vent high on her wall. Standing up on her bed, she steps one foot onto her nightstand and balancing the other precariously inside of the headboard of her bed to give her the height to reach the vent. I don't. I don't know if it was the mom in me. No, it, it, it's the parent. Like, Get yeah. your ass. Down. You're gonna break your neck. Yeah. I was like, this is not gonna end well. That was my thing too. I was like, oh, please don't stand. That's gonna break. Yes. Or you're gonna fall. I was like, horrified. Please, little girl, get down. Yes. Like, <laughs> and they kept showing shots of the step. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, this is gonna be bad. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that was good misdirection. It is because I was positive that mm-hmm. something horrible was about to happen. Yeah. But she peers into the ornate grate repeating her question, are you there? When the faint sound of breathing is heard, she listens intently, but a sudden thump from the inside startles her off of the nightstand. Standing on her bedroom floor, Quinn gazes up at the vent, a satisfied smile stretching slowly across her lips. Okay, no sound that just came out of that vent was reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we're smiling, especially when you were just told anybody can answer. Mm-hmm. You yeah. call out. They're all listening. You know what? This might have even been a better first scene. Yes. Okay. And then she and goes to see. that's why yeah. she goes to Yeah, Elise. because this contact, she wants to know more. She wants to get a better whatever. I would have liked that. That would have made so much more yeah. sense. Because it's I- either Vader or <laughs> your mom or whoever else. Yeah. Or Michael yeah. Myers. Anybody. Ah, there you go. There was some breathing. Yeah, but the punching was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does your mom, did your mom do that? Yeah. <laughs> then maybe it's a good time. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it isn't. Maybe it's actually smiling. Yeah. Because not, none of that sounded like, you yeah. know, none, of, none no. of it sounded good. There's mom punching the fridge again. It's <laughs> yeah. like, what? Fantastic. Like, no, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I And again, I will say, of course, I, I want to make it very clear that I understand her intention. Yeah. Of course. I understand her grief and her plight and this desire to speak to her mother again. Right. But, it's just the absolute disregard for Elise. Yeah. It's, it's, and for <laughs> and me, what it's, she said. It's mm-hmm. the timing. Yeah. Like, I, I know that I already said this, but I would love for it just to sink in for a little bit and then maybe backslide and be like, no, she doesn't know what she's talking about, whatever. But it's just the fact that it is the same night that is killing me. Yeah. Let's switch these scenes. Yes. That 
I think you solved it. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be good, honestly, because we did have that beginning of the first Insidious where it's young Josh in bed. Mm-hmm. We pan over, see the bride in black title sequence. Yeah. Why don't we have this scene with Quinn yeah. title sequence? Okay. Then she goes to visit Elise. Yeah. I think that works. And it is, it's kind of like a mirror to that. Right, right. But that next morning, Quinn exits her bedroom with her cell phone in hand and wearing a Pixies tank top. Again, great taste. Yeah. Yes. And I want to talk about this cell phone because that is a T-Mobile sidekick. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Mm -hmm. But this is such a nice little touch to say this is 2007, 2008. Okay. See, and that's one thing. And I asked... uh, before we when we were talking before uh, we started recording that was one thing that i was like what year is this movie set in because <laughs> mm-hmm. i seen the sidekick and i always wanted one of those uh-huh. and i was like they were That's so cool old. i was like <laughs> how old is this so i seen the movie came out in 2015 yeah. but i i didn't realize that it was set before a little bit before that. Mm-hmm. So I was like i was like what the hell but those phones were pretty cool back then. <laughs> they were. <laughs> Or they seemed cool. I never had one either. (laughs) We had the razors. We did. Those were cool. Yeah. 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 They were sleek. They were nice. I prefer my iPhone, but (laughs) (laughs) it was a different time. It was a different time. But she heads into the kitchen where Sean Brenner, her father, played by Dermot Mulroney, is dressed for work in gray coveralls and in conversation on the phone about past and upcoming jobs with his boss. So Dermot Mulroney... Yeah, man. Fantastic actor. I do want to say a couple of things, of course, because it's me. He was in Zodiac. Yeah. Of course. He was also in Copycat, which is a film that we love. Yes. And want to cover at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. We've talked about that for at least two years. Right? Covering yeah. Copycat. <laughs> he was Dirty Steve and Young Guns, man. No now shit. That's all the way back. That's old <laughs> as fuck. That's Emilio and fucking that whole yeah. little group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Wow. He was in Fame from 86, which I didn't know that. I did not uh, know yeah. that either. But he's great. I recognize them uh, immediately, but here. Yeah, this character. This yeah. character. Also, I have to say my best friend's wedding. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> That's um, right. Sorry. Uh, but... Yeah, I did think that it was interesting because I do love the name Quinn a lot. Mm-hmm. That's his daughter's name in Scream 6, too. That's true. Uh, Isn't that, that is weird? True. Okay. Yeah. But um, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that like you were saying, he is a really, really good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, It bums me out that he is not really given a lot here. No. He's kind of very quickly bumped down to kind of horror movie like dumb horror movie dad yeah that that was something that i noticed as i kept watching and it, it kind of bummed me out because i did you know what i mean i'm i was like all right fellow father or whatever <laughs> like, let's see what's going on here but mm-hmm. then you do kind of quickly learn oh you're just a regular horror dad trope you know yeah. what i mean and it sucks because he is good. He is. And it's like, man. It's like you you didn't give him enough to. And in interviews, he was talking about how excited he was because this is his first, he said, like, full on horror film that yeah. he's ever done mm-hmm. because they don't get offered to him. They don't come across his desk. So he was really excited. And I'm like, I wish y'all would have just given him maybe more to do, maybe more yeah. depth. Because what this family is going through, he's going through, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say, I did see an interview with Lee Winnell where he talked about kind of how unlikable Sean is seemingly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
Lee Winnell said it perfectly. You know, of course, not every character needs to be likable. Right. He can be a dick and still, you know, for, play his part in the film. Mm-hmm. Right. But they intentionally cast Dermot Mulroney for his inherent likability. So it's kind of like these two things working against each other. Mm. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That yeah. is. And they did say that he and James Wan had been big fans of his since the 90s. Okay. And so it's, you know, kind of this like dream casting for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that the thing for Sean is that he does kind of start off. I'm like, this dude sucks. Sucks. <laughs> but then he it, it's the character arc that is a little stereotypical. Mm-hmm. of him finding this uh, give a shit within himself. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, you can tell that he loves his family. He loves his kids. But at the same time, the way that he acts with them is kind of wild. This yeah. initial, this entire initial scene, <laughs> yeah. not just here in the Dude. kitchen, but as it goes on, I'm like, give a bitch a break. <laughs> this is, this is beyond. Mm-hmm. But after he expresses annoyance at the fact that his boss expects him to be in two places at once and laments a possible extra day of work, he turns his attention to Quinn. As she prepares her breakfast of a croissant and jam, Sean stares into the fridge, asking his daughter if she went shopping like she was supposed to because there's nothing for him to eat in the fridge. Quinn assures him that she did go shopping, and he reaches into the fridge, pulling out a container of quinoa that he mispronounces as quinoa. It's... uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Dad. It's quinoa. <laughs> Quinn corrects him, which is funny because Quinoa, he's like, Was this for you? Was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn knows what this is. Quinoa. <laughs> Quinoa, what it is. <laughs> but Quinn corrects him and he just continues his conversation on the telephone. I will say, his conversation is so vague and hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed out loud because he goes, Of course I'm going to call the guy. I got to get the part. <laughs> Yeah, it's like oh, you're not an electrician, it's really, like, are you? Yeah, what, it's like when it's what? it's all he's a fraud. It's like when you're writing and you're like, I just got to get past this and I'll go back and fill it in later. Oh, but yeah. nobody filled it in later. It's like, oh shit! Well, I guess here we are. This yeah, is the part. You got to get the part. Does it matter what the part is, really? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> get to work. <laughs> but John tells his boss to hold on when he sees Quinn raising her phone to take a photo of her breakfast. Completely confused, he asks her what she's doing. Quinn explains that she's just taking a photo for her blog, and Sean admits that nothing she just said makes any sense to him. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Damn. I know I it's like, 2007. Are you, I know, yeah. but are you frozen caveman lawyer? You yeah. don't know what any of those He's things like, are? like, slow down, yeah. head. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry. If... if She's been doing this. Yes. You would have already noticed her doing this and questioning it when she started the blog. Mm -hmm. And you even could have had this disconnect there. He could be like, what is this for that uh, blog or whatever? Yeah. 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 You know, you can still... I I get that we're supposed to walk (laughs) away from this feeling that this is strained. The relationship is a little detached, whatever. It's just so... (laughs) I don't even know the word. Cliché, but I... I can't even further describe how much this is just like, I don't know. (laughs) It's so not Lee Winnell. That's what it's just so confusing to me. I, yeah. (laughs) I will say though, I mean, 2007 or whatever, Quinn's kind of an early adopter. She is. She should have stuck with it because we don't hear about this fucking block. (laughs) (laughs) But after Sean says that it doesn't make any sense at all. 
Quinn says that it's not supposed to. She's like, I'm inventing Instagram, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Give me a fucking break. (laughs) You're going to thank me when I'm a millionaire. (laughs) But as Sean reaches for his freshly poured coffee, he offers his daughter the suggestion. How about don't blog it, just eat it. You know, it's very important as a parent to tell your child to give up on their dreams (laughs) (laughs) first thing in the morning. Yeah, no support, no. (laughs) It's like, I'm not even subscribed. Yeah. (laughs) And I won't subscribe. And I don't tell anybody about it. (laughs) Quinn thinks that slogan, don't blog it, just eat it, would make an excellent t-shirt. Sean declares his daughter to be a very weird person. (laughs) He's like, what's a (laughs) t-shirt? What the hell? Quinn, what the hell? But he says that no one cares what she's having for breakfast and tells her to go wake up her brother. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. Wow. I was like, geez. Yeah. I, I was trying to start something, but I guess not. Yeah. yeah. And I'll um, just give up. Yeah. Just like my dad taught me. <laughs> and I'm sorry, dude, but the reaction is like. That would make a great T-shirt. You're so weird, yeah. Quinn. What? Uh, what are you talking? About? We we're selling those shirts, Dad. Yeah, what, the, what are you doing? God. We're making money off this yeah. idea. It's brilliant. It's too. It's just too much. It's too much. But Quinn heads straight to the hallway, ignoring a warning "stand ten feet back" poster on her brother's door to wake up Alex, her brother, played by Tate Bernie. Don't get too attached to this shit. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. dude. I think he's at sleepovers for most of this. Yeah. I think he's wherever Wilbur went in Dick Duck. But it wasn't convenient for him to be there. <laughs> but Alex lies crashed out in bed with his eyes closed, insisting that he's awake and getting ready for school when Quinn prompts him. After complaining about the smell of the room, Quinn responds to her brother's hesitance by threatening that she'll just tell their dad. Alex snaps into action immediately, promising that he was getting ready and forcing Quinn out of his room before slamming the door. He's like, I don't want him crushing my dreams this morning. (laughs) (laughs) And that, again, that reaction was worrisome. It was. I was like, holy shit. It was. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. I I don't know. I think it's the I think it's the. series of events yes he's like hey annie leavowitz eat your fucking breakfast <laughs> and then he's, and then he, she gets her brother up and she's like no please no yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god like this house is it, it's it's we'll learn later that it's haunted but it's already scary yeah everybody's already on edge <laughs> yeah this is scarier arguably yeah. but after giving the finger to alex's closed door quinn returns to her room with her breakfast sitting on her bed and scooping up a script for a stage play called separated by lights and I don't believe this is a real play because I think the name of the playwright on the cover is actually one of the producers of the film. Oh, oh okay, that's cool. Okay. But as she looks over a monologue and attempts to recite it from memory, we get Life is Strange style shots of different items in her bedroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was a little confused at why, like why we were getting these shots of just her random stuff around the room. But it's, yeah, yeah. And it is kind of us like l- learning who Quinn is a little right, bit. Yeah. Right. And it's also learning who her mother is too. Right. Mm-hmm. In some ways. And I will say Life is Strange, I think, came out in January of this year. So I would love a world where Lee Winnell was influenced by. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. But her diary resting on her bed, strings of hanging origami cranes, a record player, 
various photos of Lillian Quinn, as well as textbooks and a PJ Harvey poster. Notice yeah. that. Again, great taste. Mm-hmm. And this album came out in 2004. And so again, we're talking time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But these are all things that we see. I didn't finish the sentence in my script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was so happy to see PJ Harvey that I was just You're like, like, well, I'm done. <laughs> but the monologue begins. I'll never forget this. You'll go to the end of the world and you'll find me waiting there, your servant. Quinn stumbles, repeating the beginning again. I'll never forget this. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Yeah. But I think, and again, it's, it's, very, it's very sad because you're like, you know, she's obviously been very distracted. Right. But it's also, it's like when we learn how important this is. Yes. You are. You don't know any of this monologue. Yeah, uh, th- that's my thing. And we, you're gonna get into it in a minute. How important it is for her to have already known this. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. But I'm like, why are you schlepping all the way out to Elisa's house last night? Yeah. Instead of working on this, because Elisa's like, she's like, damn, it's just far. Yeah. <laughs> when she says where she came from. So I, I was like, Elise, I, I don't know. Elisa's like, don't you have a monologue? In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You couldn't have done this tomorrow. <laughs> I hope you read it on the bus or something. Cause <laughs> it's just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I will say with this monologue, just like her dad, she's trying to get the part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> but back in the living room, Sean rushes off the phone with his boss. And as soon as he does, he notices something. Silence. He opens Alex's door to find him transfixed on the television. Sean points to his own face telling his son that this is his whoop-ass face. And when you see this face, it means he's about to whoop-ass. And he orders his son to get ready for school. There is a chuckle when he says, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> who we've established Sean to be. Mm-hmm. That's a funny line. It, yeah. It's very if, funny. If Sue in Talk to Me said it. Yes. Yeah. Hilarious. Absolutely. Because that's a dynamic where that's that's a dynamic where I know that you're kidding, but you're also saying, get the fuck up. Right, right. This, it just doesn't, he's been a a dick all morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fact that when she was like, I'll tell dad, he's like, oh, (laughs) that was too much. (laughs) He did freak out. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just, it's just strange. And then the fact that he goes on to blame Quinn, Mm -hmm. this boy is too old for oh, it, yeah. for to have zero accountability for not having gotten ready for sure yeah and his face was the same face that we seen earlier there was no different face he wasn't <laughs> no him, he wasn't mean no, no he, he wasn't always he just, has a whip ass yeah. <laughs> it wasn't painted it wasn't that's default that's default yeah, he's always ready for it i think what they were trying to do is i feel like whenever you know how kind of how our dad is sarcastic and stern when he needs to be when we were growing up but it's like it's always this I don't know. There's something missing in this character as far as the way that he's written because they're, I don't know. It's just so confused, I think. I mean, even if you want him to be kind of like the bumbling dad that like just doesn't get it or he's working so hard, he's not fully invested in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. There's just a better way to come across than to make him a colossal dick Uh to Quinn and then like be like this with what the, what's the fucking kid's name <laughs> it's alex, alex? Okay. <laughs> um we you know yeah, we're not wow. very we don't know him very well we're not very attached um, no. no not very attached but that's a that's playful yeah. and that's not the dynamic that we've been set up to expect but i think that is like like 
like you were saying to you about y'all's dad. Yeah. Uh, I, and I know, baby, you've told me, you know what I mean, that your dad is very sarcastic, but he's playing. Very dry. You know I mean? yeah. Yeah. Dry. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what was trying to happen here. Yeah. But we don't know enough about dad to get that. That's the thing. Because when he is being an asshole towards Quinn, it's like, what? And then when he's trying to whatever, it's like, because it, it happens a few times in the movie. And I think for me, it was hard for me to relate to that because I was like, I don't understand what what direction you're going. Here. Are I don't you know. mad or yeah, not? Yeah, I don't understand. Because even right now, he's like, ha ha ha. And then what does he do right after? Oh, it gets serious. Yeah. And I mean, to start him off frustrated the first time we meet him. Yeah. And, I, and the thing is, again, and that's the thing is that this character is ripe because he's going through a lot too. Yeah. That's the thing. And so there there should be room for this be as much as there is for Quinn. Mm-hmm. He's also experiencing a great loss. Yeah. That's and wh- carrying on as best he can. Mm-hmm. But all we see is, what the? You're weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what it is. That's what I'm saying. And I know it, it would probably, we'd also be calling it out for being cliche. Uh-huh. But even if he's trying to understand the quinoa and trying to understand the blog and trying to get it and Quinn's annoyed with him because it's like, dad, I've already told you 10 times. And he's like, look, I'm trying. Yeah. You know, I, even that, a moment of like, this guy's going through it too. Yeah, because that we don't we don't get that. Maybe later a little. Later, yeah, because there's the arc. But when yeah. we're establishing a character, mm-hmm. you know, it's just. I feel like we've been very hard on Sean Brenner, yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was weird to me. Mm-hmm. But Sean then heads to Quinn's room where she's still practicing her monologue, and it's not good, folks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's. I'm scared for her. Yeah, yeah. One thing I will say, though, Uh is that a line that she says in this monologue is, you gave me life when I was dying, when I was leaving this world. Okay. A little seed planted. Again, Lee Whannell is a great screenwriter. He is. But Sean busts in, startling his daughter and scolding her for not making sure that Alex was ready for school. Annoyed, Quinn says that she needs to learn her lines and questions when she was supposed to do that. Well, you did waste a a big part of yesterday. (laughs) But okay, you know. Sean replies flustered, confiding that he needs her help and that he's drowning. He says that Alex is running late and he chides his daughter for being selfish and telling her that she could have learned her lines at any time. Quinn sarcastically agrees that she's being really selfish for worrying about her future. Exasperated, Sean just pleads for his daughter's help before leaving her room and closing the door behind him. See, this is this is what I'm talking about. I get, look, I'm drowning. I need your help. Mm-hmm. There's a thin line between that and between, honestly, how I saw it as parentification. Yeah, right. of like, it, it is your response. That, that big ass boy, like, he's got to be, <laughs> he's got to be older than Jackson, or at least Jackson's age. I, I would think that that kid would be 13, 14. I would never be like, Ari, your brother's not dressed. Yeah. Like, that is, that's wild to me. You are old enough to know you need to get to school. You need to get up and get dressed. And it puts so much pressure on the older kid. Yes. Yeah. You're a kid yourself. That's yeah. the thing. It's parentification and it is abuse. I'm not trying to go too deep with it. No, but yeah. you can't, you can't, you should not be doing that. So I, I understand, look, I'm drowning. I need you to help out. Go wake up your brother. Get it, 1,000%. You don't go yell at one kid for the other kid who is more than old enough to 
dress themselves. Yeah. Being ready. Be- not being ready. Rather. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that it's like, look, I need help. I'm drowning. And then you <laughs> one, two, punch it with, you're so selfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> this almost felt uh, out of place. I did like, it didn't feel real. I was like, this is, this feels weird because it is that he went and uh, whoop ass face and all that. Yeah. But then you go in here and you yell at your daughter. Yeah. And then you throw your hands in frustration like, I don't know. And then leave. It's almost like, what are you talking about? And if, if you paid a little attention, I guess to like, or for me anyway, I'm paying attention to him and his whole like I'm frustrated and drowning, mm-hmm. but it's very like like you said, kind of cliche. Mm-hmm. But it's like there could be there could be another way to show that. Yes. If we see him like holding it in while he's on the phone and he's like, Okay, I you know, or he's like, There's no food. I thought you went to the grocery store. I did. There's you know, there's food in there. Well, what is this, Quinn? And whatever and that That's and then, fair. And Maybe then a- him just being like it's simmering yeah. and then you know it boils I mean? over. And then, yes, yeah, it's gradual. It's, yeah, but he's already, like, <laughs> he doesn't even know what's happening. He's like, did what you, the fuck is a block? Did you just get these kids? Did they just yeah. drop them off yeah. to you? Yeah, I think it was off mic, but I had said this morning about, like, the closeness of the Lamberts and how that felt like an authentic family. Yeah. And this almost feels like three people are just sharing an apartment together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Find out what happens when people stop being polite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he is That's exactly he's like you're so damn selfish Brett yeah. <laughs> I was like it's what like, really yeah. dude like no interest and in, I mean I it's tough look it's again, hard it's very hard they're all going through it mm-hmm. yeah but I there is a better way to convey all of that yeah because yeah. this just makes me not like Sean at all yeah from the second we're meeting him mm-hmm. But we cut to Quinn, now fully dressed, urging Alex to hurry as he follows her into the hallway outside their apartment. On their way to the elevator, they bump into Hector, a boy of Quinn's age, played by Ashton Moyo, who is also leaving his apartment. Alex teases Hector, remarking that he's just in time to see Quinn and pondering if he was waiting there on purpose. All right, that's enough. Yeah. (laughs) That's enough. He didn't have a lot to say. He's like, and actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go away, Alex. Well, he's being a little brother. He yeah. is being a little brother, but it's like, dude, we had a rough morning yeah. already. Yeah, no <laughs> and another thing. It's like, dude, stop. <laughs> Shut the hell up. As Alex rushes off to the elevator, Hector awkwardly explains to Quinn that he wasn't waiting on purpose. He just came out of his apartment. Quinn knows, and as the awkwardness dissipates, the small talk commences. Hector asks which class Quinn has first, but learns that Quinn isn't going to school at all today. She has an audition for a theater school in New York City. Hector responds amazed, but immediately goes introspective when he realizes just how far away New York City is, because he's clearly in love with her. Yeah. Yes. But as they continue down the hall, they stop to talk to Grace, an elderly woman played by Phyllis Applegate. Now, Phyllis Applegate has a long list of credits, Mm -hmm. but I remember her completely from Better Call Saul. Yes. I was like, that's you. I I was like, I know who this lady is. Yes, that's exactly what I remembered her from. And she later on has one of the best line readings in the whole film. Yeah. I will get to in a bit, but I was like getting goosebumps. I was like, (laughs) why are you telling me this? (laughs) (laughs) But Grace, who balances on her walker, 
tells Quinn that she has to see the birds outside. She says there's a flock of them at City Hall, but the ones that she's talking about are nicer. Only you can't eat them. Harry, her husband, played by Jairus Poindexter, apologizes for Grace, telling the kids that sometimes Grace doesn't know what she's saying. But with a smile, Grace insists that she knows Quinn. Very quickly, just a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Jairus Poindexter has a ton of credits on TV and film. Yeah. Uh, Con Air. Okay. Yeah. Soul Plane, Aquila and the Bee, Seinfeld, (laughs) Martin. Very nice. Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. And Everybody Hates Chris. It's like so many projects. That's amazing. But one thing that did kind of disappoint me about this character dynamic right is that there is there is no amount of affection or intimacy mm-hmm. i thought that harry was grace's son i did Thank too you. Yeah, i did yeah. too because there is none of that there's no hand holding there's no rubbing of a back there's nothing nothing to indicate that they're married yeah and when it comes up later and you learn it you're like oh I didn't get that I, at all. I didn't either until it's explicitly stated. Yeah. I also didn't like the way that she is received by Quinn. Yeah. yeah. She's calling Quinn by name. She knows her. Mm-hmm. And Quinn's like, ah. like I don't I, I felt like it was like disrespectful. There I mean there I you can chalk up some of it to being like a teenager, I guess, but at the same time it's like you live, you know, you know. Yeah. yeah. That, Grace. It was just, it was weird to me. Yeah, if it wasn't somebody from the building, then maybe. Yeah. But it's, they've obviously lived here just like y'all have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've all been here together. It's just odd. Yeah. It's weird. But Grace and Harry walk on by them as the kids head to the elevator. Alex tells Grace that that's what she has to look forward to when she gets old. And after a bit of sibling bickering over who is going to get old first or whatever, Quinn notes that the elevator is taking too long and they should just take the stairs instead. This is when I was like, you're done. Yeah. No more. No more. (laughs) I've had enough of this. (laughs) (laughs) Like they they can hear you. She's there. They're probably still talking to your dad. Yeah. They're three feet away. It's unbelievable. One thing I will say, though, as a bit of setup, which I did appreciate, is how slow the elevator is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we learn a little bit for later. It's like, ah, a little. That is Mm. really good, actually. Yeah. But Quinn snags Alex's hand and says her goodbyes to Hector, who offers a very stilted and awkward goodbye in response. But later, Quinn breaks into a brisk jog, passing pedestrians, crossing the street, and almost getting hit by a car to make her way to the theater on time for her audition. Foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Very good. But... I was like, oh, this is when I'm like, okay, she's the main character in her own head. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know when she's running across the street, she's like imagining suddenly I see you playing or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that was just the energy I was getting. It's the opening credits of a rom-com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, ah! When, yeah. when it all of a sudden, you know, it's just, uh, you're in your own mind right now. And they're all waiting for me. Yeah. yeah. You expect them when she gets there, they're like, Quinn Brenner? She's like, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> That's when her name is shown across the screen. At the <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. But we cut to Quinn backstage, nervously chewing her fingernails as she reads over her monologue one last time, surrounded by other auditioners doing the same. When her nerves become too overwhelming to manage, she clutches her script to her chest, asking out loud, Mom, help me get through this. As her eyes dart around, they rest on something in the distance. Up above, on the catwalk, shrouded in shadows, stands a silhouette. Its bright eyes cut out of the darkness and gazing at Quinn with an outstretched hand, it silently waves at her. 
the silence of this is what makes it unsettling. Yes. Yeah. And it's clearly not your mom. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes, the silence helps the scene. Yeah. But when we look and see, that's not your mom. Not at all. You know, um, the thing with P. Diddy and the dude when he's looking at him, like, uh, what is yeah. that on? <laughs> They're looking back and yeah. forth. That's how I looked at the, the, at the screen. I was like, you know goddamn well that's not your mom. My mom doesn't look like that. No. My we mom's... saw your mom. Yeah. We saw a picture of your mom. Yeah. My mom's peoples aren't cut out of the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's frightening. Yeah. But, and again, it's sad because you feel the desperation. Yeah. Yes. She wants this contact that she's willing to believe anything is possible. Yeah. To believe that could be anything. But again, just this, vi- it's a very effective image. Yeah. It is. And I do just want to piggyback on what you said and praise the choice to not use a musical sting yeah. or anything because it is extremely unsettling and i remember seeing this in the theater and the first time that shot actually gave me goosebumps yeah because I i'm like but it's because it's i know what's going on yeah <laughs> but i'm like oh my god this is this frightening yeah it's frightening but quinn looks behind her to see if the figure could be waving at someone else but when her eyes return to the catwalk the figure is gone before quinn can make heads or tails of it she's called to the stage In a wide shot, we see the gorgeous architecture of the auditorium, a red light like a dome high above the lavish balcony seating. This place is beautiful. It is. I was like, damn. It's every every part of it, your eyes just... Yeah. It's amazing. But Quinn steps directly into the spotlight, shining down into a circle at center stage. The theater school representatives, just unseen voices through the blinding light, thank Quinn for coming, and Quinn thanks them for the opportunity gushing that she's a huge fan of their school and that it's always been her dream to attend it. But the theater director, played by James Wan, interrupts her, asking if she's prepared something for them. I did want to talk because, of course, I was... James Wan has directed Lee Wan-El so many times that it's just a little switching of positions. Yeah. And I saw an interview with both of them where he had said that this is, he's like, oh, this is all I have to do. I just have to show up and say some words. Yeah. <laughs> and Lee was like, well, yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He joked, he goes, I gave uh, James Wan a hard time. He goes, the performance was terrible, but I put it together in editing. <laughs> it's like, dude, <laughs> I, I love your friendship so yeah. much. <laughs> But I did also want to share something very sweet that Lee Winnell had said regarding uh, James Wan and being a- him being able to direct this film. Okay. Since James Wan was off directing Fast Times at Furious High, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um, Lee Winnell had said, you know, this is a big opportunity, obviously. Right. But he goes, I have had the greatest horror film school anybody could ever wish for. Sitting next to James Wan all these years yeah. and watching him direct these horror films. That's good shit. It is. I love that. Yeah, It's very sincere. But after being asked if she's prepared something, Quinn excitedly tells him that she has, and she closes her eyes to get into character. The director tells her to begin whenever she's ready. After a moment, she begins. I won't ever forget this. You'll go to the end of the world and find me waiting there, your servant. But the next line escapes her. I was like, girl, I knew that part. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're not off book. Yeah. <laughs> but the director is very kind and assures her that it's okay and offers her a chance to start the scene over. 
that did surprise me because yeah. I thought they were going to be like next. Yeah. Because when she's trying to gush like about, oh, I love it. They're like, can you, are you ready? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah, they were really nice. And I will say there is a woman seated next to James Wan mm-hmm. who could possibly be a co-director of the theater, but I don't have, I couldn't find a credit for her. Really? Oh, that sucks. I tried. I tried. Yeah. Folks. <laughs> well, and there's another there's another character in the film called Danielle, played by Lee Wanell's wife, Corbett Tuck. Uh-huh. Couldn't find her at all in the film, period. I huh. wonder if um, maybe her scene was cut or something. Maybe. Uh. Or maybe I just couldn't recognize. Or that. There could be a reason that there's something going on that you don't recognize people in a certain okay. space. Okay. Right. Plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a plane of existence, if you will. <laughs> A place that's not closer, but you know. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know. <laughs> far away, yeah. far away. Hasn't been named yet. No, <laughs> it no. hasn't. That's true. It hasn't. So that's why we don't know what the hell to call. It's too far. <laughs> yeah, it's too, yeah, it's far. too far. Too far. Maybe that'll help us come up with it. Yeah. yeah, it's too far. Too furious. Um, <laughs> what happens next? All right. <laughs> I think the giant hook comes and takes her off stage. I think. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the next point. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn apologizes, promising that she knows her lines, and that uncredited theater representative sitting next to the director asks if Quinn wants to take a break and come back afterward. Quinn just stands solemnly in silence in the spotlight. I will say very quickly that there is one overhead shot from the balcony Mm -hmm. as part of this scene, and we'll get get to that later. Got it, got it. But later that night... Quinn sits on the sidewalk with Maggie, her friend played by Haley Kiyoko. I was looking at her filmography and I see that Haley Kiyoko is a singer songwriter. Oh, okay. She also played Velma in like four films. Damn. Oh, badass. For yeah. Scooby Doo. Yeah. And you had said you had heard something about her casting. Yeah, that Stephanie Scott had told her there's an open spot and you should really go for it. And that Lee Winnell had asked her, like, what do you think? Because they're friends. Oh. Yeah. And Lee Winnell was like, what do you think? And she was like, I think she did really good. <laughs> <laughs> I cast her. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was so cute. You can hire my friend, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your friend? The, yeah. <laughs> damn it. I think this character is really intriguing and fun. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted more of her. But I we, thought... don't, we don't really get... I feel like there's a lot of these connections, her and Hector too, uh-huh. yeah. where it's like, oh, like you expect it to kind of pan out or continue and it just gets you to a point and then kind of they're gone. Mm-hmm. And there is a deleted scene with Maggie later mm. that I think kind of adds to something that could have been utilized, but I don't know why it ended up on the floor. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Okay. Okay. But Quinn vents her frustrations at her failed audition, fuming that she hates her father. And not in a dramatic, heat-of-the-moment hate kind of way, she literally hates him. Don't think that's fair. No, I, I don't like Sean. I was going to say, no. and we've all made it clear how we feel about Sean. <laughs> yeah. but again, I feel like this family just like isn't good at taking accountability. <laughs> <laughs> again, you had time to rehearse this. <laughs> <laughs> you did. And you, I'm sorry, dude, but there is no way that you learn on Thursday that your big audition for this school that is your dream school is Friday. It was also odd to me the way that the scene ended because they were being so nice to her. And they were like, do you want to take a break and come back? And then we don't, like, did she? Yeah. I don't know, dude. I'm assuming that she didn't get it based on her reaction, but... 
And it's funny because we never hear about it again. No. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's it. And see, for me, I think this is the thing that kind of also, I don't want to say, uh, well, no, yeah, I guess hurt would be the word because my wanting to believe in the father-daughter thing here, like you said, T-hate, that's a strong word. Yeah. And yeah. for the little that we've seen other than him being an ass those couple times, that, I mean, like you said also, he's going through something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's terrible, you know what I mean, for the whole family, but also he still is in charge of both children and he's trying on his own now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I know you you know we're kidding about her going and seeing Elise, but you really did go and burn that day. <laughs> yeah. If this was that close, you're telling me you don't have any other time to practice. You couldn't have done this any other time. The transportation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't understand. It just feels very if we had a little more, mm-hmm. maybe just a little more time with them together, or maybe even anything other showing that her trying to do it and him stopping her to make do to do something that, else. Yeah. Then it would be like, okay, I can understand where you feel that way, but I mean, I know technically that did happen the one time, but the whole rest of the the morning, she's blogging her food and like it didn't like the rehearsal didn't exist until it's time to leave. And now I got to look this over and you're interrupting me, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was clear she knew none of it. Yeah. No, (laughs) she didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But after she says she literally hates her father, Maggie balks at her use of the word literally but Quinn just tells her not to ruin her venting. And it's like, all right, I understand. You're, yeah. You're yeah. upset. Letting off some steam. Mm-hmm. And Sean's getting burned. <laughs> 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 but Maggie tries to set her friend's mind at ease, reminding her that they only have a few months of parental guidance left and then they're done. She says at that point, Quinn can just pick a college on the opposite coast and her father will become a weekly phone call, then a monthly phone call for when she needs more money. Jesus Christ. I know. I was like, damn. Is, like, is that, that what, that what y'all talking about? Yeah. <laughs> is that what kids think of us? <laughs> I hope not. God damn. I sincerely hope not. Because I don't have any money to get yeah, it. <laughs> Good luck, guys. That's what I was going to ask. Are you sending the money? Yeah. I, don't... <laughs> I just fold our pockets out like the Monopoly yeah, man. Yeah. Oh. Shrug, a moth flies out. It's like, I don't... You can keep them on. Yeah, it's too, yeah. Pro- too furious over here. Again? <laughs> well, we are furious that we're broke. <laughs> we'll have to fucking Tokyo overdraft that shit from the bank because <laughs> we'll have to pay for it later, oh. but I mean, <laughs> it's the only way. this is the only way to survive. Oh. <sighs> But Maggie jokes that Sean won't even be Quinn's dad anymore. He'll just be a bank that she visits on Thanksgiving. <laughs> the, I've, you know, they should really put that in the Hallmark card. <laughs> yeah. No, sure. <laughs> but Quinn shares the harsh reality that she's not going anywhere. She botched the audition to the one school she wanted to go to, and she doesn't have a backup plan. It's over. This is the main character energy that I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie scoffs at the drama of it all, agreeing that Quinn was born to be an actress after all. But Quinn is serious. That school was all she wanted, and her dad just wants her here to help raise Alex. Quinn laments that Maggie will go away to college soon, but Maggie promises that Quinn will be okay. When Quinn expresses her doubts, Maggie hugs her. 
A few bar-hopping douches walk by them, making a childish remark that Maggie shuts down with a retort of her own, and with a chuckle, gathers her things and urges Quinn to follow her across the street. All I could think when these guys is like, who pulled your fucking string, dude? Literally. Shut your keep mouth. fucking moving. If I wanted you to talk, I'd shove my hand up your ass and work <laughs> your mouth like a puppet. God. <laughs> you said all of this? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah let's do what the fuck you. <laughs> and Lee, when I was like, Billy the puppet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're making references here. It's right. important. You gotta. Yes. I invented him. Yeah. <laughs> But as Quinn reaches her feet, she stops dead in her tracks, staring down the street. In the middle of the road, off in the distance, Quinn sees the figure from the theater. Only this time, its silhouette is cut out a little more, backlit by street lamps, and appears to be wearing some kind of gown. But just as it did before, it waves silently at Quinn through the darkness. Quinn stares at the figure wordlessly, but out of nowhere, a car collides with Quinn, launching her into the street, sliding to a stop in a bloody heap. As the car's horn blares, a shaky handheld shot finds Quinn unconscious as Maggie, in shock, runs over to her friend's side, screaming for help. She should have told those guys, you can just drop fucking dead. <laughs> and then, then we all would have seen the car coming. Of and course, it would have yeah. been fine. Because I didn't expect this. No. I didn't either. My question is, there's mad foot traffic. Yeah. There that is. car's coming fast. That car was flying. And I do want to say that it was a straightaway, that road. Yeah. yeah. It was not as if there was some confusion. No. no. I think they wanted to hit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I it's don't a know. dude making hot dogs right there, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think, I, have... I think it was working with that ghost. No. <laughs> now you know you can't trust that ghost. Yeah. No. Or maybe the driver was like, ooh, hot dogs. Oh, then, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know. maybe, 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 yeah, maybe. It, I will say not only is it shocking, but it for a PG-13 movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, God damn, yeah. it was pretty rough. It was. I did see on a featurette how they filmed the scene, which was very interesting. It's a very great composite shot. OK, what they do is they start with Stephanie Scott in the middle of the street mm-hmm. and then they attached wires to her and they lifted her and threw her onto a mat in the middle of the street. OK, then they get a stunt driver to drive and hit a dummy. Oh, wow. All right. And so and interestingly, they said that the on commentary anyway, not commentary. What the hell am I talking about <laughs> <laughs> on that featurette? Yes. yes. They said the guy that was driving the car for this stunt was Bruce Willis's stunt double for like nearly <gasps> everything. <laughs> that what he's the in. hell? All right. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know why you were. I thought you were going to say stuntman Mike. But that's no. not even a real person. <laughs> it was Kurt Russell. <laughs> did it. <laughs> he finished his nachos. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then he got in the car. Eight years after he played stunt. (laughs) 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 But um, they did hit the dummy like four or five times. Yeah. And they tried to find the take that was the most realistic. Mm. Okay. And so through these shots, they find it. They put it together in digital fashion. Uh Uh-huh. Because Lee Winnell, of course, all about practical effects wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. And he said something about digital and visual effects being should be used to cover your tracks, not to form everything. Very much appreciated. Absolutely. Digital mm-hmm. style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably the best song in the whole, <laughs> in the whole thing, I think. Um, don't hug me, I'm scared. Yes. Mm. Or, no, hug me. You should hug me. Well, yeah. 
I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is they put it together very, very well. Uh-huh. And this shot is seemingly seamless. Right. The way that it hits her, she falls into the street, the camera finds her. It feels like one shot. No, yeah. And it's so jarring and shocking. Yes. Uh-huh. That even if there was something there, I'm not going to catch it. Like, no. I was like, what no, the hell fuck? No, no. But we cut to Quinn being rushed into an emergency room where a team of medical personnel led by Dr. Henderson, played by Tom Gallup, go to work on her. In frantic shots, they move her from a gurney to a bed, ready IVs, and call in a crash cart. As they cut and tear her pant leg, Henderson notes several compound fractures on Quinn's right leg. The team continues their care, but suddenly, a nurse, played by Amaris Davidson, alerts the doctor to Quinn's heart rate monitor. The rate drops and Quinn begins to flatline, so Henderson calls for one amp of Epi and for the paddles to be charged to 360. I remember all of Lee Winnell's work on Saw 3 mm-hmm. trying to get this medical jargon correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I assume that he did it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as the personnel move around Quinn, tending to pertinent tasks, the camera rests above her in an overhead shot and all the sound begins to become distant and distorted before fading away completely. A flashlight is shined into Quinn's unresponsive eyes as we travel into the blue stillness of the hallway outside. As we travel through a door at the end of the hall, we find Quinn standing there in confusion and with no sign of injury. A low growl is heard nearby, and Quinn surveys her surroundings. But out of nowhere, a ghoulish face with an oxygen mask strapped to it lurches out of the darkness in a roar. This is the man who can't breathe, played by Michael Reed McKay. So I just wanted to talk about this very quickly. Mm-hmm. So the man who can't breathe, they had this idea of getting away from everything that they had done before with the spirits and the further. Yeah. Where in James Wan's films, they are all these like pale faced ghosts, classical looking, gothic style. Mm-hmm. And though Lee Winnell loves this style, he wanted to try something different for this film, a little more grimy, more rotten and disgusting. Okay. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, and he feels like a completely different entity in this world. Yeah. Because even the lipstick-faced demon, he was very clean. Yeah. Yeah. But he was fucking... I mean, they're all evil. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and he had his, like, collection. True. Yeah. But he was clean. (laughs) Taking care of his nails. Yes, he was. He was big on hygiene. He was. He's like, this is important. It is. See? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the interesting (laughs) thing about it is whenever Lee Winnell was trying to sell this character, the idea of him, he was like, think of Sloth in David Fincher's Seven. Oh! And after they sold that, you kind of get this idea through the design of the character. Yeah. But going a step further, Michael Reed McKay played Sloth. Shut (laughs) your fucking... Mouth. Yes, he played Sloth in Seven, and he's the man who can't breathe. That is oh, so fucking nice. cool. <laughs> and he does great in this role. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of character, and there's a lot conveyed through movement uh-huh. and sound. And uh, I was just very impressed. They said the makeup took four hours to complete. Damn. I think they said two artists working simultaneously and still taking that long. Ooh. That is very fucking cool. Yeah. I I do like this character. I just wish there was more. Yes. I almost feel like because this is its own character, we don't get enough. Mm. You know, does that make sense? I like can it's see for that. just for this is just for this movie. This yeah. is never coming back 
again. Yeah. I can see a line where it might be too much, but I could. I do agree that we could do a little bit more. It's a tiny. Um, I thought it was interesting because I saw in an interview with Stephanie Scott that he was not at any of the rehearsals. Oh, on <laughs> purpose. <laughs> per lee winnell okay and so the first time she saw him was when they were filming oh wow so and she was like he is scary he's terrifying yeah mm-hmm. it's so effective I, the, yeah, yeah it's it's very cool because we talk a lot about directors being like we're just like let them just let them act you yeah, know? yeah you don't have to like break their spine or whatever like in the exorcist <laughs> but he did stuff like that where it was a shock and i'm sure very jarring to see this character in costume for the first time when you're filming. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also said that he would like jump around corners and be like, ah, and scare her. <laughs> not um, not him, but Lee Winnell would. Oh. And he would have an air horn that he would scare people yeah, with. Yeah, there is a scene in particular that is <laughs> oh really messed up. That's so funny. <laughs> what are you doing? That's yeah, his inner Sam Raimi, man. Is yeah, this- <laughs> yeah. But upon seeing the man who can't breathe, Quinn screams, but she wakes up in a gasp of air in the hospital, her heart monitor now beeping regularly. Henderson responds relieved that they've brought her back and tells his team to keep her stable. He's scared her to life. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually not how it goes. It's usually the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. But sometime later, Quinn lies in a bed in a proper hospital room, with Sean resting in a chair in the corner. He lurches to his feet when he hears Quinn muttering in her sleep, asking for her mom. He grabs Quinn's hand, telling her that he's here, and she turns her head to him, a nasal cannula over her face and the side of her face splotched in purple bruises. Sean asks his daughter if she remembers anything, and Quinn whispers weakly that she was with Maggie, and there was a man waving at her. And he was at the theater, too. Why are we saying a man? Yeah. This being was clearly not of this world. (laughs) And we... uh, but that also, again, so you know it was, or it- Man. You, it was a man. It's not your mom. Also true. That's a really fair point. Yeah. You could tell. But I mean, she was comforted at first. It was like, he was in like a hospital gown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird. Scared the fuck out of yeah. her. <laughs> Although maybe, maybe it was through the, the vision that she had. Okay. That she's like, okay, that's too close. Now I know. Maybe. But, and again, I do appreciate her bringing this up to her dad at all. Yeah. Because I feel like in a lot of movies, and especially with the dynamic that we're kind of being given for this relationship, Mm -hmm. I can see her not saying anything. Mm -hmm. But, like, (laughs) again, not to quote Usher, but if I'm going to tell it, then I got to tell it. I saw him at the theater. I saw him in the street. And then this scary motherfucker (laughs) scared me back to life. Yeah. But then again, I mean, it could have been a, and this is the only time because it fucking comes up later and it pisses me off. This could have been a bad dream. I guess. That's the only one. Okay. I'll give you one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that so much. Do not tell me I'm dreaming, dude. Yeah. Literally. Get out of here. (laughs) But intercut with Maggie's answer are her memories of this eerie greeting from the man. But after that, all Maggie says she remembers is darkness. We then cut to an exterior shot of their apartment building and we get on-screen text reading three weeks later. Sean pushes Quinn in her wheelchair through the lobby of the building, both of her legs encased in casts, 
one from her thigh to her ankle and the other from her thigh and covering her foot. Sean stops Quinn right in front of Grace, who sits on a couch in the lobby to go check their mailbox. Quinn smiles at Grace and then looks away awkwardly. At the mailboxes, Sean greets Harry, who is leafing through mail from his box, and after a moment, Harry offers his condolences for Quinn's accident, and Sean thanks him, telling him that Quinn survived and that's what matters most. But in the lobby, Grace just suddenly mutters, The man who can't breathe. The man who lives in the vents. Quinn raises her head with fear in her eyes as Grace tells her, I heard him saying your name last night. As Sean and Harry continue their conversation in the background, Grace adds, I heard him in your room while you were gone. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. Hold up. And you told no one? Yeah. yeah. Not only that, I know that we dismissed this lady in the hallway before. Mm-hmm. Everything that she is saying speaks to something that you have experienced. Yeah. Absolutely. You heard sounds in the vent. You saw a ghoulish fucking <laughs> figure with an oxygen mask. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about the man who can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Dad, we need to move. <laughs> like, I just, there is no, there is not, I know she looks scared or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's not enough reaction here for me. And I was Mm-mm. already getting pissed off. Dad, or can we go back to the hospital? Or can you check my room before I go up there? Because I don't want to go in there after what you just told no, me. No, something. What do you mean? Who is he? What yeah. what, what was he saying? What, what have you seen? Anything. Yeah. Well, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grace looks up to the ceiling, through the ceiling to the floors above, and with certainty tells Quinn that the man is standing there in her room right now, and she will see him. Quinn says nothing. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, why? I don't know. She's like, the weather's been crazy. Or something like nothing. But even, (laughs) but like you said, babe, if even if, before when we had that conversation mm-hmm. it meant nothing yeah this pertains all to me yeah because well, it felt like that was what that was for yeah was for her husband to be like oh like she doesn't know what she's saying anymore so that this could later be dismissed yeah maybe if she said all this in that hallway mm-hmm. before we saw the man mm-hmm. like maybe not the vent because we had already experienced the vent but maybe if it sounds like nonsense and then we start seeing shit and it's like, oh, my God, just like Grace was saying. But we've seen all of this. Yeah. yeah. You've experienced it three times. Yeah. It just it maybe maybe I'm just kind of stuck on what you were saying to you about like maybe the scenes like being out of order mm. sensibly, you know, or logically. Maybe I'm just kind of stuck on that. But this just it. In the context of what we have seen and experienced, this makes no sense for Quinn to not be, let me out, let me out, let me out. <laughs> it's, yeah. that, it's wild. It's wild. She's like, well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to be home. Yeah. Are you yeah. guys throwing me a party or something? <laughs> yeah. And I especially can't wait to go to my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I just want to go to bed. Yeah. yeah. You know, turn all the lights off. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. But when Quinn and Sean return to their apartment, they find it filled with balloons and standing in their living room are Maggie, Hector and Ernesto, Hector's father, played by Ruben Garfias. Hector and Ernesto announce the surprise and after Maggie inhales some helium from a balloon, offers Quinn a high pitched welcome home, badass. 
Ernesto can't contain his shock at Quinn's injuries, and she admits that she's all busted up. Sean shares that Quinn will use this wheelchair until her broken bones heal, and Ernesto expresses his relief that Quinn will make a full recovery. As he launches into an indictment of the way that people drive these days, all Quinn can do is focus on her bedroom door, which rests open slightly ajar. Hector apologizes to Quinn for what happened to her, and Quinn tells him that it's pretty embarrassing. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. It was an Suddenly accident. I <laughs> like, you literally like, dude, did you got nothing. hit by a fucking yeah. car. <laughs> She's like, I'm just so, like, quirky or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I like the pixies. I get hit by cars. I, you know, just part of my character. <laughs> It's like, what? It's so embarrassing. Why am I so weird? It was so cringe to get hit. It's like, no, dude. The actor, the actor, the driver was in the wrong. Yeah. Clearly. You had the right of way. You almost died. Yes. Right, you're not clumsy. No. No, no. Ah, It's not embarrassing at all. This is so funny. But when Hector proudly professes that he sent her flowers, Sean coldly responds that, yeah, they got them. Why'd you invite him? Yeah. I don't know. He's, again, it's this stereotypical, like, 2010s dad character. It's just, uh... It's just flowers. Yeah. It was just flowers. She was in the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Your daughter almost died. Yeah, he's not... Like, can we... It, well, it, again, he's. It'd be different if he's like, you know, when those legs heal up, you know, maybe we can grab a bite to eat or we can put it. Not he's like, just maybe got, give it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can see that, but but no, I sent you flowers. That was it. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> also, where's your annoying little brother, dude? At a sleepover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Hector's nervous energy drains from him as Quinn and Maggie share a knowing smirk. But Hector asks if he can sign Quinn's cast or if that's too cliche. Quinn gives him the go-ahead, and as she peers fearfully into her bedroom again, Hector wastes no time scribbling. You're a real traffic stopper. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's a date. Yeah. <laughs> um, why are, I don't know. I'm just like, maybe not right now because everybody's still here, but tell your dad what. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she said he is waiting for you in your room, in the room. right now. Yeah, I think after everyone leaves, you're like, Dad, there's one place. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little worried about. <laughs> Did you leave my door creepily ajar? Yeah. But in response to what Hector has written, Maggie Riley remarks that Hector must have been saving that line for a long time. He just had to wait for Quinn to get hit by a car. He probably came up with it after. Yeah. <laughs> in his defense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes, we don't know who the driver was. Yeah. <laughs> and what about that? They don't even talk about that either. Oh, he's a man with the mission. That's true. Oh, not yeah. Not they were caught, not they were arrested, Nothing. not that they ran, not that anything. No. It nothing. was just a plot device. <laughs> it was just a car that did it. There was no driver. <laughs> it was Christine. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's another <laughs> reference. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But Sean and Ernesto grimace a bit at Maggie's bluntness, and Ernesto excuses himself and his son from the apartment after shaking Sean's hand and promising help in any way they need it. He's like, damn, son, you're going to eat the fuck yeah. out. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so long. <laughs> thought, he couldn't I, watch it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought you said they were yeah. your friends. <laughs> <laughs> but Maggie huffs another breath of helium, telling Quinn that she'll see her later. 
The next shot is of Quinn's door, the back of it, mm-hmm. and there is a blue Morpho butterfly sticker. Hey. Oh, okay. So life is yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, but again, if I were a filmmaker and I'm putting a film together, I'm hiding stuff that I love in there. Oh yeah. no, for sure. I think Lee Winnell played Life is Strange. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> but Sean pushes Quinn in her wheelchair to her room, opening the door and remarking, "Home again, home." Quinn's eyes take in the entire room, probably looking for a certain spirit that she was warned about. <laughs> yeah. But finding nothing out of the ordinary. Sean helps Quinn onto her bed, and as he lifts her legs to her mattress, he comments on the wonderful neighbors they have a crazy cat lady on one side, and the boy who is clearly in love with her on the other. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I see where the, your kids get it. <laughs> what, the sun? The, yeah. yeah. You're raising an asshole, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Quinn gets defensive, telling Sean that Hector isn't in love with her and asking if he knows that everyone who looks at her isn't in love with her. And she adds that no one could love her, especially in her condition now. Come on, man. She's yeah. fucking wild. Again, the dramatics. Sean scolds her lightly, telling her none of that talk. And he reaches over the edge of her bed to reveal a gift basket that he got for her. He goes through its contents, telling her that it has everything she likes. Books, a bell, some French onion dip, which he shares with a French accent. Mm-hmm. Straight up Jack Link's beef jerky because product placement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they must have sponsored some of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he quickly learns that Quinn is vegetarian. He asks in disbelief when that happened, but Quinn says it doesn't matter. How embarrassing. Yeah. He's like in pure beef. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything you love. Yeah. He's like, oh, wait, this isn't French onion dip. It's beef tallow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just got you a, Silly me. a tin of beef tallow. <laughs> <laughs> and bugs. Yeah. And you know. bugs. But that's that's my problem with it. This is very like there is it. I know it's to show that he doesn't know or understand his daughter or whatever, but it's very just I got the thing he like books yeah we, that's it we know she likes books because she even told elise that yeah. everybody knows she likes yeah books. we already know that and it's so vague so and that's her yeah that's <laughs> it books. That, yeah that's it <laughs> on any subject yeah they're any medical topic. textbooks yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you're when if she's vegetarian you've never seen her eat this fucking beef jerky yeah why would you assume that that's the, something that she likes it's such a specific yeah, yeah. He's like, well, I like the peppered kind. Yeah. <laughs> so I can have this so, then, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't, oh, you don't <laughs> want it? He leaves with it. <laughs> but yeah, when Homer got Marge the bowling ball, then said, like, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> but she thanks her father for everything and then asks him if any letters arrived from any schools. But Sean replies that he doesn't want her to think about any of that right now. He tells her that she's been given a gift-wrapped excuse to do her favorite thing in the world, sleep. That feels backhanded. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it does. <laughs> she's like, I actually hate sleeping. But thanks, yeah. Dad. Um, so she's still waiting to hear back from the school. Why yeah. was she so upset that night? Well, because so did she get to re-audition? I don't know. I just, what is going on with the school? I don't know. I think she thought she flubbed it and she's just going through that emotion. Yeah. Right. And then maybe she's like, you know, maybe it'll be like a third act reveal that <laughs> it's not. Yeah. No. Yeah. But again, it feels very weird because it's clear she she asked for a reason and he's like, ah, I'll take your ass to bed. And it's like, dude, <laughs> yeah. she clearly, even on her face, you can see it. She like kind of shuts down. She's like, no, you know, and 
talk to your daughter, dude. Mm-hmm. You can tell. But again, I I guess for the disconnect, we need him to. Yeah. All right, later, champ. Good night. Yeah. 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 Tussles With, her hair. Yeah. <laughs> Takes the beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> you hear him snacking in the hall. Yeah. He's like, oh, I can't forget this. She's like, he couldn't wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he couldn't wait to get to the living room. <laughs> <laughs> but that night, when Quinn is fast asleep, she's suddenly stirred awake by noises above her head. She stares up at the ceiling for a moment before throwing a pillow over her head and cowering under it as she tries to ignore the sound. She closes her eyes, but they're startled open when the bell on her nightstand from her father's gift basket starts ringing on its own. This was really good. Yes. Yes. Really, really Fuck good. Fuck yeah. This, I was like, okay. I was like, I you pulled me back a little bit. <laughs> yes. You're embracing me. Yeah. I'm telling you, these sequences are pretty well crafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was one of the times that Lee Winnell used the air horn. Okay. He used the bell for all the previous takes, and you see it scares the hell out of her. What a fucking asshole. What a dick. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, got what he needed. That's hilarious. (laughs) But just as she lurches up, the sound stops, and in a wide shot, we see that she is all alone in her room. She looks around a bit before just resting back into her bed to get some sleep. With her eyes closed and her back turned, Quinn doesn't notice a silhouette behind her, cut out of the light of the city through her window. Again, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, dude, I'm sorry. That was clear as day. That bell. Yeah. On my nightstand ringing. There's no way I'm like, all right, let's, well, good yeah, night. No. <laughs> let's try I this again. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember doing yeah. that. Yeah. There's no way in hell. <laughs> Could my pillow have hit? No. Yeah, fuck it's no. on your nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> but the figure takes slow steps towards her through labored breaths to the empty side of her bed. And when Quinn rolls over, there's nothing there. But suddenly... Sean switches on the bedroom light, checking on Quinn because he heard her ring the bell. She assures him that everything is fine. Okay, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, why? I don't know. Firstly, I was surprised that he heard the bell. Yeah. I, wa- I was too. And secondly, this is the exact proper moment to be like, Dad, Yes, I that's, think there's someone in the house. Mm. That's <laughs> yeah. We're going night visions. <laughs> yeah. I think there's someone in the house. No, but that was my exact thought. I may not be the best parent on the planet, but my kids know that they can come to me with some spooky shit. Of yeah. course. <laughs> I mean, why would you not? I think when he came in, like you said, T, I was surprised that he came. Yeah. But when he did, I've that. I was like, oh, this is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You heard that too? Yes. Like, listen. You, yeah. Yeah. And like you're saying, T, this is the moment mm-hmm. where I would say something. Mm-hmm. Dad, please look. I know you're probably going to get mad. I went and seen somebody or I called out to something and A, B, and C is happening. Yeah. Yes. That was not me that rang the bell. What I thought was going to happen is, and this is again with these misdirected scares. Yeah. I thought something was going to be on the side of her bed, obviously. Uh She was going to see it. She was going to scream, call for her dad, tell him what happened, tell him about the bell. And he's like, I didn't hear anything but you screaming. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen. But him hearing it, it's like, oh, it's all going on. Oh, it's different. Yeah. Shit's different. But he's just like, you want some brownie before you go to bed? (laughs) (laughs) Dad, please! (laughs) Fucking fight for my life! (laughs) 
But the next day, at Elise's house, we find Elise at her dining room table enjoying a sandwich and a glass of milk. An empty glass sits next to her along with an empty place setting for another person who isn't there physically. After dinner, Elise grabs a knitted vest from a hanger in her closet. After saying goodnight to Warren the dog and switching off her lamp, Elise climbs into bed, clutching the sweater. She breathes in its scent and hugs it tighter and says, Good night, Jack. This is heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. I it's so sweet and sad and Lynn Shea plays it so sentimental and real. Yes. And this is a character we already care so much about. Yeah. It's it's really, really heartbreaking. I and this is to me where I realize there is like a very surprising emotional weight to this film. Mm-hmm. This idea of grief. I feel like it was obvious that it would become a theme in the film. Yeah. And it becomes more prevalent later. But I don't know if it was maybe just the way that they set up Quinn and her mother. Mm -hmm. This to me was much more effective and much more, I don't know, getting at this theme in a more effective way. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But the camera presses in on Elise in the darkness as she tries to fall asleep until suddenly a loud sound thuds and echoes jolting Elise upright. She stares ahead in horror switching on the light and reaching for a notebook in her nightstand. On the leather jacket of the notebook is an eye in a diamond, drawn above the words, Book of Seeing. Elise opens the book to the middle and picks up a pin that's resting there. And in the center of the page, she writes, Quinn Brenner, before clasping her hand over her mouth. Well, that's concerning. Uh, yeah. yeah. So did she see her or just the name? We learn later, <laughs> just close our eyes and see the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I need to contact Quinn yeah. about yeah. something. Yeah, all right. Thankfully, she does describe it later. Yeah. But I will say it is upsetting how long it takes because you know. Yeah. And I know you're getting out of the business. You, you're retired and all mm-hmm. this. That honestly kind of surprised me. Yeah. Because she's like, damn, sucks for her, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. Good night, Warren. Warren. Yeah, you <laughs> see the shit. <laughs> the dog's like, that's rough, Elise. Yeah. <laughs> that is rough. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Bark. <laughs> but in her bed in the Brenner household, Quinn wakes up with her copy of Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange resting open on her stomach. I was like, fantastic. Yeah. She looks down at her cast, chuckling when she finds Hector's message that he scrawled on it the day before. After thinking for a moment, Quinn decides to get Hector's attention, knocking on the neighboring wall twice. Two knocks answer her call from the other side of the wall, and then she decides to give him the old shave and a haircut, and he responds swiftly with his two bits. So my note here was that this is very cute mm-hmm. and I feel like it is setting us up for this to come back to bite us in the ass later. Right. Okay. Later. Please continue. Quinn slides open her cell phone and texts Hector. Hey, neighbor. Got some Ned Flanders energy. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> she follows that up with, so you think I can stop traffic, huh? Hector responds, Maybe. I was like, okay, Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) But he adds a coy smiley face emoticon. No emojis yet. True, true. It's 2007 slash eight. I will say I've started using emojis with jewels and it's a game changer. Yeah. I started last year. It has been. For a very long time. (laughs) I'm late. (laughs) 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 
it feels like hieroglyphics. It's a very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. You express yourself in all these different ways, little cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, it's an emoji. I'm just glad you're here. It took you a while, but I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> but when Quinn asks Hector if she woke him up, he responds that he isn't home. He's at his grandmother's. So I was like, oh, already? Yeah. Here, I thought it was positive misdirection. Okay. Although maybe the first night home, there could have been a moment of this. That. Before. I wanted it established without it immediately paying off. And right. this happens again for my taste, just me personally. This happens again later where I'm like, oh, that's, that's set up. And it's like, oh, okay, already? Yeah. If that night she had come home, done it, two scenes later, this happens, great. But I feel like we could have been set up for a really cool, like, humans can lick too situation uh, where yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, this is our routine. Oh, you've exploited this routine. And that's scary. Uh-huh. You know? this It was just too too fast. You know yeah. what? Maybe even do it something as simple as adding those two scares together. Yeah. From the first night. Have her knock on the wall. Have this mm-hmm. moment with Hector. Turn off the lamp to go to sleep. The bell the shape and the yes. shadow yeah, yeah. Yes. her father then we have the scene with elise and now this yeah okay okay yeah but i mean i'd be like well is your dad home <laughs> <laughs> does your dad sleep in your bed when you're home right, somebody's in your room yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're, no you're like oh grace was just a room off yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm fine <laughs> but you shouldn't come home you should <laughs> stay at your grandma's <laughs> but quinn nervously looks back at the wall behind her and very courageously, or very foolishly, depending on who you ask, she knocks twice. When she doesn't get a response, she tries again. Silence greeting her once again, Quinn closes her phone, shuts off her lamp, and settles into her bed. No! Yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> She's, I, dude, the strength of this kid, I don't have it. Maybe, uh, maybe her dad's right. That is her favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> sleep. Quinn's gonna go to yeah. sleep. Yeah, she's like, oh, sweet comfort <laughs> of yeah, sleep. There's, Hold I, me in the arms of sleep. <laughs> there's no way. After that text. No. And knowing that nobody's <laughs> over there, I'd be Salamanca. My, I'm ringing <laughs> yeah, the bell later. constantly. <laughs> there's no way. And yeah, Literally. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. Definitely need help. Yeah. But her eyes closed and sleep somehow on the horizon. A long gray arm reaches down from the ceiling, accompanied by a musical sting, seizing Quinn's shoulder before receding and disappearing as she screams and sits up fearfully. That was a lot, Robin. Yeah. yeah. And again, that was misdirection. Mm-hmm. I did not expect it to come from above. No, yeah, not at, at all. all. So it was quite surprising. I honestly thought what was going to happen is she tries to go to sleep and then it's, you know, the hall or the wall is like two bits. Yeah. Like, well, I thought it'd be like, boom, 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 yeah. boom. Yeah. And then that's the scare. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not expecting to see a big gray arm. Definitely. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> Definitely not. But Quinn screams and stares up at her ceiling when she hears a loud thud and watches as her light fixture sways and splintering cracks appear above her. Sean rushes into her room to check on her, asking what the hell that was. Again, he can hear it all. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The camera travels upward to the floor above where we find a vacant apartment. The door opens from the hall and Sean walks into the apartment with Mel, the landlord played by Phil Abrams. Sean promises that he isn't making anything up, using his cracked ceiling as evidence that something happened here. 
I did appreciate the physical evidence. Yeah. That this you can point a, to. Yeah. Even though Sean is also experiencing like the sounds and stuff, this is like literally like there is proof mm-hmm. something yeah. happened. While Mel isn't calling him a liar, he says it's clear that no one is living above the Brenners. But Sean points to a room down the hall where he says the sound came from above Quinn's head. They make their way to the room together, and when Sean walks inside, there on the hardwood floor are dark, oily footprints that catch the moonlight from the window, heading underneath a plastic-covered bed in the corner of the room. Nobody's what, Mel? Uh, yeah. yeah. Nah. Somebody's, Nobody's living here. Yeah. Somebody is squatting up here at the very least, yeah. and they're fucking with my kid downstairs. Mm-hmm. And they're not wiping their feet. And their yeah. feet are disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the worst part. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like this is abandoned very quickly. I did see an interview um, with Dermot Mulroney where he was saying that the footprints were so creepy to see in real life. Mm. He was like, but it kind of takes the magic out of it when they're like, no, move it over here. And then they just move them. I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) Like no one made these. (laughs) (laughs) But Sean looks under the bed where the footprints continue before dragging his finger through the muck left behind by the unseen intruder. Mel simply says that he doesn't know what to tell Sean. And Sean suggests that he can start by telling him who's going to fix the crack in his ceiling. I mean, you could start there. You could also wonder who the fuck left these footprints. Yeah. That. Especially the landlord. If you're mm-hmm. saying that this is a vacant unit, someone clearly was just up here and they're causing damage. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Mel's like, well, I'm not renting to anyone, so this is none of my business. <laughs> yeah, no. She's <laughs> like, sleep is my favorite thing. <laughs> I really got to get back to it. Yeah, your, ta- your daughter told me about this thing called sleep. <laughs> I've been really into it lately. Good night, John. Yeah, nothing is going to stop me. But the next morning, Quinn sits at the dining room table in her wheelchair as Sean frantically searches for a frying pan to cook breakfast. Quinn tells him exactly where it is, and Sean goes to look again before before saying, I can't. No, I can't do this right now. I'm too busy. I laughed out loud because you're too busy to look where she told you yeah. that the frying pan is. He said, I can't take this. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's very, what it was. I yeah. can't take that's this. That's very me coded. Like, it's just like, that is the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> it was, I, and then the I'm too busy again was yeah. just wild. That's really funny. That's really funny. I, I don't Maybe it's partially the performance. Maybe. I don't know. But just the way that it comes out is I died. Yeah. It's very... I was I sitting there. I was like, "You're making us look bad. Make your kid some fucking food." Where's the other kid? Uh, I was like, "Yeah, yeah. what the fuck?" But he makes a a grand return. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he does call out to Alex, telling him that there will be no eggs this morning and to just find something in the fridge for breakfast instead. Alex goes, "Whatever." He's like, "You like quinoa, right?" Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You like quinoa, right? Yeah. But Sean then walks over to Quinn, urging her to eat her breakfast, but she refuses, murmuring that she can't taste it. She can't taste anything anymore. Seemingly above his expertise, Sean just steps away from his daughter and calls out to Alex again. It's like, why don't you <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. talk to her about mm-hmm. that? It's like, now the girl has COVID, so <laughs> yeah. we, we got to address moving that. moving on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude. <laughs> But he stops dead in his tracks when Quinn reveals that she went to see a psychic named Elise because she wanted to talk to her mom. 
Sean asks for elaboration, and Quinn shares that it was about a month ago, and since then, strange things have been happening, like the knocking she heard last night. She thinks it was her mom trying to reach them. Sean delicately puts the kibosh on that idea, opining that psychics are just nutcases paid to give you hope. All right, dude. Yeah, calm down. Good Lord. Quinn wonders why it couldn't be her mother. She says what if she was trying to tell her something? She then becomes more pointed, demanding to know why her father doesn't talk about her or acknowledge her. Sean responds lowly and wounded that he does talk about her. But Quinn rejects this narrative, saying that all Sean does is fight with her, telling him that he keeps all this chaos so he can pretend that she never existed. This is the first time that I really... I really feel bad for Sean. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, when you, I don't know, when you're struggling like that, it is very easy to kind of put up walls to keep yourself from feeling vulnerable or from getting vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's just like nothing changes day to day. Like bills are still due. I still have this laundry list of shit that I have to do. And maybe like pushing all of this down just makes that easier. So the fact that he's like, I like I do, mm-hmm. that was, I was like, damn, like that, that got me. Yeah. And his whole demeanor is different from what we've seen. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, wow. And like, we've been saying this whole time, he's going through it too. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's really sad just yeah. for everybody. I mean, except for Alex. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's living it up at sleepovers or whatever. But solemnly, Sean disagrees. He shares that he sees Lily every single day when he looks at Quinn. Sean leaves the room, leaving Quinn in tears, sniffling and gazing down at her diary in her hands. So again, more with the emotional weight of the film. Yeah. Sidebar, I thought it was a great idea in this shot of Quinn throughout the whole scene to have a picture of Lily over her shoulder. Yes. That was very smart. Yeah. I did also want to point out that this diary that Quinn has, Mm -hmm. Stephanie Scott said that she was given carte blanche to decorate it any way she wanted to and write any entry that she wanted to into it. And so everything that we see on film, this diary was decorated by the actress playing the character. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Hell yeah. But that night at Elise's house, Elise moves shelving away from the locked door to her reading room. Her eyes settle wistfully on the door, and she reveals the key to the lock on a necklace under the collar of her shirt. She considers unlocking the door, but then thinks better of it and puts the key back under her collar. They really wanted us to see that key. Yes. Yeah. It's very important. It's the last key, if you... Ah! (laughs) Little franchise humor. (laughs) But Elise retires to bed with Jack's vest, looking over at Warren, who eyes her sleepily from his bed. Elise then retrieves her seeing book, flipping the page to Quinn's name. She looks at it thoughtfully, and after one knowing look from Warren, Elise finally caves, telling Warren, fine, I'll help her. Warren perks up, but settles back down when she tells him that he's staying here, though. He's like, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah. I facilitated this. I gave you the idea. (laughs) Right? Like, Scooby-Doo gets to go. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. He's my hero. It's not fair. (laughs) But a match is struck, and a candle is lit in Elise's dining room. Elise calls out to Lilith Brenner, telling her that her daughter might be in danger and needs her help. 
It was a little funny to me that she just assumed Lily's government name because she was not told that. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> she was never told. <laughs> well, but they're like, she's Elise. I mean, she's got. She just knows. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Or maybe she looked it up on uh, in a scene we didn't have. <laughs> maybe that's why it wasn't her that came forward. That's oh. not her name. Yeah. Like, I don't know who the fuck you're calling. Yeah. That's, I'm who is Lilith? Yeah. <laughs> no, dude, the man who can't breathe is like, my name's Billy Brenner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I misheard you, but I'm here now. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's too late. Yeah. yeah. Too bad. I can't go now back. you're stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> too late, too furious. <laughs> <laughs> but as the camera glides slowly around Elise, she asks for Lily to answer her and to please show herself. Elise sits in profile, but slowly turns her head to a nearby room. In a wide shot, we see a sludge of dark footprints on the floor. Elise follows them over to a set of stairs and finally to her reading room, where the key rests in the unlocked padlock, her necklace swaying back and forth as the door lies opened. So this was the second instance that I was talking about. If we had just seen this key earlier... Instead of it being a whole show of making sure that we saw it, and then two seconds later, it's it's not around her neck anymore. Yeah. I think that's fair. Although, I mean, yeah, maybe there should have been this a little closer to a few of the earlier times that we saw Elise. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that. if she's messing with it when Quinn comes to visit her, okay. and then we see her tuck it into her shirt right now, fine. But it's it's very much like oh we're setting something up and then we don't it doesn't even marinate like it's immediate <laughs> the pay it really just kills the payoff for me and also I was like Does, is Lily known for just having filthy feet like <laughs> she's like no that's her but who do you call when you are the call oh Ghostbusters <laughs> no I don't know about that like, we got to take this above yeah, my head. <laughs> But after she feels her neck and sees that her necklace is missing, she peers down into the darkness of her reading room, the filthy footprints trailing down the stairs. Elise asks the spirit what it wants from Quinn, telling it that she knows it isn't her mother. Elise says that Quinn thinks it is, but it isn't, and Elise isn't afraid of it. She tries to switch on the light to the reading room, but nothing happens when she pulls the chain. So, all right, maybe I'm a little afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and again, it's the fact that you know this girl thinks that you're her mother, but you're not, and you still work. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. write a name in your book and go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. the dog's like, dude, this is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but Elise instead snags a flashlight, turning it on and beaming its light down the staircase, following the footprints downward. After making her way through hanging beads and into the room proper. The flashlight traces over her reading table, the chairs, skulls, candles, and crystals. She antagonizes the spirit, telling it that she's fought many like it in her time and assuming it to be a demon. She urges it to show itself, but the trail stops at two footprints side by side on the floor. Elise then raises the flashlight a little higher, and we see, to her horror, that the footprints continue up the wall. I know she's a badass, but fuck that. <laughs> I had to look again. Who do you call? Yeah, I'm looking at this trail going downstairs. I go down a little bit and it keeps going. I don't know if I want to see where it goes up the wall. Yeah, I don't. And I'm a little upset. Why are you coming to my house messing up my shit? 
Yeah, because she does have to clean that. Yeah, and I yeah. know. Yeah, I know that you came here when Quinn was here, but weren't you just at that apartment last night? Like, how are you getting across uh, town? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've established it's very far yeah. away. He's <laughs> busy that night. Yeah, he's supposed to be rehearsing his lines. But <laughs> <laughs> he decided to take the bus. <laughs> But a musical sting accompanies the sight of the man who can't breathe, who hangs upside down, pale, dead, and gray in his hospital gown, reaching his arms out for Elise, his groans muffled by the oxygen mask covering his face. Elise screams, wrenching herself away from the man and running upstairs, slamming the door behind her. When she finally catches her breath, Elise tells herself that she can't do this anymore. That got me. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And also, for a man that can't breathe, you're doing a lot of hanging around and reaching. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Acrobatics and it's just appalling. I can't do that. Oh no! And just to be clear, hmm. this is after Josh, but before Dalton. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. After, Josh was a child after right. kid Josh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But back at the Brenner's place, Quinn talks with Maggie over her webcam, catching up on all the high school gossip, which includes the fact that Hector has been asking about her in a really unsubtle way, which Maggie finds very annoying. She also shares that everyone at school is acting like they don't care about prom and planning to wear ironic costumes, which Quinn thinks sounds fun, but Maggie promises her it isn't. As Quinn surveys the cracks in her ceiling, Maggie wishes that someone would run over her legs with a truck. I'm like, Maggie, please. Yeah. <laughs> a little, like, God damn, a little sympathy for your friends. No check, shit. Check your privilege. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. She's not having a good time. That's no. terrible. But Quinn changes the subject, asking how Maggie's college applications are going. But Maggie redirects and says that they're there to talk about Quinn, asking how things are going with her father. Quinn shares that he's been taking a lot of time off of work and that he's off talking to his bosses right now. Maggie asks what Quinn does when she goes to the bathroom, and Quinn retrieves the bell from her nightstand and gives it a few reluctant rings. Maggie can't believe it, and the two share a laugh. But Maggie then asks, Hey, is that Alex standing right next to you? (laughs) She's like, doesn't your brother always have dead mottled skin? (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) He's right there! (laughs) Doesn't your brother require four hours? (laughs) Yeah. But the smile disappears from Quinn's face. She looks around, asking Maggie what she's talking about. Maggie just laughs, telling her that he's standing right, but the picture freezes. Quinn calls out to Maggie and then looks up to see that her wheelchair is clear across the room, right in front of her bedroom door. She gasps and then slowly turns to face the other side of her room. There, behind the curtain of her window, stands the man who can't breathe. The music pulses at the sight of him, and Quinn screams, dropping her laptop to the floor. His raspy breaths rattle from his lips as a silhouette behind the curtain, and he then inches his way toward her, the curtain covering him every step of the way until he seemingly sinks into the floor, disappearing. So he just does, the gas man just does whatever he wants, or like, because he was over there, now he's in the curtains, he's just... Like, I don't... Well, I was like, why are you carrying that tank around? You get stronger every time I see it. Well, it's funny he takes, but he takes a half day to get to Elise's. And then yeah. you never see the same night. It's usually the next day it's Elise. And then he's like, well, that night I'm going back to Quinn. Yeah. And so he's he's very thorough. I got to get, I got to give him to the, got to give it to the man who can't breathe. But, but I mean, I, we're joking, but it really does raise a question if this is like his turf. Yeah. How, I mean... 
I could understand if Elise like has a vision of him, mm-hmm. but those footprints were on her floor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. But fearfully, Quinn climbs over to the edge of her bed, the camera over her shoulder, leaning over the side to get a look underneath. I think this for me, it's it's one of the like cliche shots in horror. Yeah. But and I and I I hate it, but I hate it because it's very effective on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you hate it because you're scared. Yes. Because it works. It puts me there and I, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Fair enough. But after a moment of silence, Quinn is grabbed from above by the man's dingy hands, thrown completely off of her bed and landing face down on the floor. I have to be honest, him, that's not what I was expecting. Uh, No. no. Him to physically be throwing her around the room? I was not expecting that. The way this scene plays out is not at all what I expect, period. Mm -mm. No. Because he's he's here a lot and not just as like a sight gag. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So he's not a ghost. So he's a demon or he's a something, he's a monster. Like he's a for real villain because he's yeah. doing all kinds of shit that I feel like if you're a ghost, you don't need to be doing that much walking. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> that much walking, that much throwing, that much. I mean, a lot because I think maybe because of the rules that have been established in the prior films, I'm expecting more of a like, oh, I want to take your body over. Yes, Or I want, you know, something in that vein, but like whooping her ass was not, (laughs) I just wasn't expecting. Yeah. No, there is more like possession in the previous ones. Yeah. Yeah. And a little, and they're, that's the whole point is that they're weak. Yeah. Yes. They need this. And that's, that's their motivation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just like. It's a little different. Okay. (laughs) But she watches under her bed as the man's feet slosh their filth across the floor. His breaths crackle and gargle through his mask as he shuts the curtains and then creeps over to Quinn's door, closing it. Quinn stares at the light of her laptop screen, a photo of her, Alex, and their mother as the background. I was like, fuck Sean, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, <good> look. <laughs> she said I literally hate him. <laughs> I'm sure he took the picture, but still, if there's a family of four and I'm not in any of these. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm a little upset. It's like one, two, three. I'm like, ah, damn. Okay, then. All right. But the man even decides to close her laptop, which is just kind of wild. <laughs> yeah. It very like this is creepy. Yeah. But I was like, it feels like he's like setting the mood. Yeah. He needs darkness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not that mood. <laughs> was just, no. There was a look. I don't yeah, like that. Yeah, I saw his face. The mood for just dark, like it's just scary. Very weird. It yeah. It yeah. De- decorum is still intact. Yes. It is, yes. <laughs> but in total darkness, Quinn shudders in fear until finally. The man seizes her, falling on top of her. She screams wildly, just as Sean returns home with the bag of groceries. Upon hearing his daughter's screams, he drops the bag, running as fast as he can to her bedroom, bursting in and finding her on the floor, sobbing. As he checks on her, she tells him that someone is in here. Sean looks around and after seeing no one else, tells her that he is here now. But sometime later, Quinn is fitted for a neck brace after her fall. A nurse, played by Jacob Crawford, puts it on her, telling Sean very clinically, this will prevent her from moving in a way that could injure her neck further. I don't know why this made me laugh. Yeah, well, He's the professional. None yeah. of us could have figured that out. No, I thought it was to help her with her flexibility of the yeah. neck. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm glad he's here. Yeah, but it's great to sleep with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The most comfortable sleep. Yeah. It's like a neck pillow on the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the airplane. <laughs> um, but Sean and the nurse ease Quinn onto the couch to rest on a pillow. Sean thanks the nurse, and after he leaves, he asks Quinn what happened in her bedroom. 
She says that she was thrown from her bed onto the floor. Bashan tells her that there was no one else in the room. He would have seen them. Quinn reveals that it wasn't a person. She says before she thought it was her mom trying to contact her, but it's not. It was something else. You're telling me this whole time you still thought it was your mom? I mean, we got there eventually. I'm confused because even in the hospital, she's like, there was a man with a, a face. No, you're yeah. right. Or a face, a mask. No, well, yeah, but. Yeah, but I mean, even then, that's yeah. something. But then she's like, you know what? After being thrown around my entire room, I think it might not be my mom, guys. Yeah. <laughs> the mom was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? But to that, in a very patronizing tone, Sean asks, are you sure it wasn't a bad dream? Infuriating. Oh, yeah. Why? Why? You, what? I woke up on the floor. Yeah. My neck is broken. Yeah. <laughs> How? <laughs> um, it, well, I don't have many dreams like yeah. this. No, not really. But Quinn is adamant that she saw a man. He had on a breathing mask. Sean holds her hand, promising that he believes her and assuring her that she's going to be okay now. He gives her a kiss on the forehead and leaves her to get some rest. It killed me that after all of this, he's like, well, good night. Like yeah. after yeah. what she just said. And <laughs> where we see him go after this is like, you're leaving her alone <laughs> yeah, in the apartment where this just happened and where Alex, I guess, is at another sleepover. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. He's he's in safety. Yeah. That's, so he's, he's, uh, that's who he's taking yeah. care of. <laughs> and I do. I really feel like, again, Alex, it really honestly think about the story that could have just been Sean and Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's just, you know, because I I don't know the point of adding this brother when he doesn't do anything. Just to no. have that moment. <laughs> that at, one moment. Yeah, yeah. To be like, you were supposed to get your brother ready or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Mm. That's it. I guess. Yeah. And I know there's one moment later, but anybody could have found that website, dude. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know who could have? Hector or Maggie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because. Honestly. Do we even see them again? I think no. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I will say there is a deleted scene. I think that it comes soon after this uh-huh. because I want to say Quinn does have her neck brace. Mm. Okay. But they go into Sean's closet and in there they find a shoebox. It's Quinn and Maggie and Quinn finds a shoebox and opens it and it's all stuff that her mom saved. Okay. And so it's like a tape of the cure and like a ticket, I guess, Sean took her to see the cure in 1980. Hell yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. But, um, and uh, Maggie makes some remark about how hot she thinks Sean is. And it's like a, just a bickering moment between friends. <laughs> but it's really, really fucked up and really drives the point home what she thinks about her father. Yeah. Because even after, you know, all this or whatever, she finds a note from Sean to Lily. And it's the sweetest note you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. And <laughs> Quinn goes... He probably got a buddy to write it for him. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, God. Probably stolen that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't get an ounce of no. Credit. So, I mean, it's, I, I don't know why it was cut because it is more of Maggie coming to visit her friend after this. Right. Yeah. But um, I don't know because we really don't see them. No. no. And, but even that, I felt like if that's thrown in there and we don't have any other instance where the dad's being an asshole, it's like, what are Why you are really you, yeah. about? Like, what? What is this? That's that's a big leap. Yeah. And for so Lily kept this. Like, why would it's just that's so mean. Yeah. It is. It's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly. <laughs> 
But Sean heads downstairs into the lobby, where he finds a somber Harry signing paperwork for a couple of uncredited paramedics. Red and white lights flashing through the window outside, Sean sits in front of Harry, who removes his glasses from his face. Solemnly, Harry mutters, She's gone. He tearfully reveals that Grace just wouldn't wake up. He says that he knows that people called her the cat lady and made fun of her, but she was somebody. She meant something. She was his wife. That's when I was like, wife? Yeah. Um, I would have loved to, in the hallway, have seen her like with the cat on her lap. or To get this uh, yeah, I reputation? Yeah, the reputation... Or maybe just have her talking about cats instead of birds in the first scene. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I just don't. I, I know that's a term. It's a phrase. It's rude. It is yeah. rude. Um, it is something that I aspire to be. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I almost am kind of left with why did we have this character at all? Yeah. I think it was, I think it was just for those few added moments of this uh, teasing of what's waiting for Quinn. The first moment was only for the second moment where she's talking about there's a man up in your room Uh and nobody even gave a fuck about that. No. Like, I mean, I don't know. It just, I feel like that was an interest, like an interesting dynamic. Maybe um, Quinn helps take care of this lady or anything like the, it was just weird because in the hallway you were trying to act like you didn't know her yeah, yeah. it's just weird i don't know i think maybe another part of it is giving this parallel for sean because okay. he lost his wife as well but, th- but this this not... moment doesn't cont- it doesn't really give us that. that yeah yeah it's clunky like i don't know i don't know it it felt very like this poor dude but why why is this here mm-hmm. like i like you said they were here for what just to tell us that i yeah. guess so. and then, or uh, even she passes and then quinn sees her or anything okay. or elise sees her or anything there, like there's just there is one moment later with elise that is uh feels i mean it's all right but that message could have come from anywhere <laughs> i mean wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't that have yeah. made wouldn't that have made sense or yeah. i mean i don't know i don't know no i understand let me say it one more time i don't know <laughs> <laughs> But Harry says that they were together for 52 years and that Grace had a whole life before she got sick. He holds an old black and white photo of Grace in his hands from decades prior, telling Sean that Grace was beautiful. She was so, so beautiful. The most beautiful girl in the whole town. Look, (laughs) this feels mean, right? Because he's looking at this old photo and he's like, she was beautiful. What what got me <laughs> is him holding this big ass photo. What? Just in the... Just ha- having it in his hand. Yeah. It wasn't in like a lobby. wallet size yeah. photo. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just, just like, where did you get that from? It just came <laughs> off as mean. I know it's past tense because she's passed away, but he is looking at an old photo and it just feels... I don't he's know, like, no, oh, I okay. promise. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're just... I don't know. It, I didn't like it. Again, I didn't like it. But Harry admits that he knew that Grace didn't have long but he tried his hardest to tell her what she meant to him. The sad part is, he doesn't think that she understood anything he was trying to say. We see the words register deeply for Sean, who assures Harry that Grace knew what he said and knows how much he loves her. He tells Harry that if he needs anything at all, he's here for him. I don't know, for me, I feel like this could be, like it should be the moment for Sean to kind of come back online. Yeah. Yeah. And to be like, okay, well, you know, I've lost someone. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've you lost someone. There are these parallels here. Maybe I 
should really try to do my best to be here now. Yeah. Be here for the people that your daughter needs you desperately. Yeah. You know? And so I just don't know. I, there's just something odd about this scene. I know what it's going for, but I just don't think it's as effective as it could be. Yeah. But later that night, Quinn is fast asleep on the couch under a blanket. The camera presses in on her in an overhead shot as she slowly opens her eyes. Up above, she notices small cracks beginning to form in the ceiling, and as they begin to spread and splinter, Quinn covers her head with her blanket. After an exterior shot of the building, which I guess is meant to convey the passage of time, we <laughs> I don't know why that was there, Yeah, but we find Quinn under her blanket in a claustrophobic shot. She steals herself, and with all of her courage, she removes the blanket from her head and finds herself sitting in her wheelchair in the hallway of the fifth floor of the building. Very creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. Realizing where she is, and with the door cracked next to the vacant apartment above hers, she wheels herself over to the elevator, pressing the call button frantically. And if we recall, the elevator is very slow. Yeah. So it does not arrive. But out of nowhere, tattered, gray, and filthy behind her arrives the man who can't breathe. He grabs the handles of Quinn's wheelchair guiding her away from the elevator, pushing her faster and faster toward the vacant apartment when she begins to scream. He dumps her harshly to the floor, and she lies face down facing the hallway where the vacant room above her bedroom is. I think that this was very effective because it was this sequence of being along for the ride the whole time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The jump scare was not that he was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's this entire sequence of taking her to this place. Yeah. I like that a lot. But the door to the room creaks open, and a woman slithers out, crawling her way toward Quinn. As she continues her terrifying trek, we see that she is missing both of her hands, both of her feet, and her face is featureless. Quinn screams, banging on the floor to get her father's attention down below. That, that's it. That's yeah. what I've been waiting on this whole time. That is so fucking scary. That is, yeah. It was shocking. I think the funny part is kind of getting another view from the other room <laughs> where yeah. the camera's like, watch it's this. Like, no, this yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not just forward. We got it from the side. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that it's not really explained who or what this is yet. Right. Yeah. So I thought that this was just another spirit knocking about. Yeah. Just part of this whole process. But I guess how she's dressed, we should grasp some similarities. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. I I'll say that I didn't yet. No, but God damn, is that face frightening? Fucking yeah. scary. And it shifts and changes more as we go on. It does, depending. And it's such a like um, I don't know, like an erasure of identity. Yeah, yeah. The face, you know, fingerprints, mm -hmm. your hands, your feet. It's just, whoo, <laughs> that it freaked me out. But we see Sean wake up in his bed and snag a baseball bat. But in no time at all, he finds her in the apartment above theirs, helping her back into her wheelchair. I guess the elevator worked for him. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> well, he got the part mm. from the guy. Go, yeah. Right. And he fixed the elevator. Very important. He asks how she got up here, and she points toward the floor, telling him that she was telling the truth. What are you doing up here is wild. Yeah. That is wild. She needed to ring the bell to be taken to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. You found her upstairs in this room where let's remove, if we take the supernatural out of it, someone with very dirty feet is squatting <laughs> up here. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a kidnapping. 
if, yes. you, if you don't believe what's going on yes. super, mm-hmm. supernaturally. And he's like, Quinn? Like, it's just like, what? <laughs> it's wild. I think the better question is how? Or, yeah. you know what I mean? Who brought you over here? Yes. It's not your keys on top of the bookshelf instead of in the bowl. Yeah. You're like, huh? How'd you get up here? No. Yeah. yeah. But when Sean directs the light of his flashlight to the floor, he sees the same viscous footprints that he discovered with the landlord, leading to the vacant bedroom at the end of the hall. He follows them again, and Quinn follows close behind, and they see that they lead past the bed this time, up the wall, and right to a broken window. Those feet on the wall underneath that extremely <laughs> short window was hilarious to me it was unnecessary you were yeah, showing well, out yeah. you did not need to do all that no it could have just stopped at the- <laughs> yeah <laughs> because- that's so funny so it you're is. telling me that he kicked the window open and then just yeah. <laughs> jumped, jumped through the floor to him i like <laughs> i don't understand his movements that's just so funny <laughs> but sean sets down his flashlight in bad opening the window and peering out of it Sprawled out and dead on the ground lies the man. Sean remarks, Jesus, he jumped. So that's fascinating to me that he can see this figure. Yes. Yeah. I was a little surprised by that. Yeah. But the camera follows him back inside as Quinn makes her way over, reaching for the ledge of the window to look down for herself. I don't know why her father is not helping her or... <laughs> yeah, no shit. She's literally dragging herself to the sill to look over. Yeah. And that looks dangerous. Yes. And he's like, well, she needs to see for herself. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to see this gruesome scene, I think. <laughs> it's like, what? No, she doesn't, dude. You just so, told her. That's enough. So what is this... Okay, what does this look like? Somebody kidnapped her, uh-huh. brought her up here... And then jumped out the window. Yeah. And he's just like, whoa, Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) That's the closure for you. Like, you need to see this. This is wild. (laughs) (laughs) This feels like a dream. Yeah. Yeah. She she needs this. (laughs) Like, that is, that's beyond. But the moment Quinn sticks her head out of the window, the man is waiting, perched on the wall just beneath the ledge. He grabs for Quinn as she screams, Sean reaching for his daughter's legs to keep her from falling out of the window to her death. He pulls her inside forcefully, whacking her injured neck against the plastic-covered bed. For me, it seems like a moment is missing here. Yeah. Because when they hit the bed, she looks back at the window. He looks back at the window. Scene's done. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted them to look back at the window and it's not shattered. Yeah. Yeah. It's not open. Nothing. That would have been great. And then the next scene, you're like, okay. Yeah. Because I experienced that. Yes. There's a deleted scene from the next morning between Sean and Quinn. Right. Where she opens up her diary and finds Elise's address and gives it to him and says, we need her help. Okay. Uh. And that's why the next scene happens or whatever. But I just feel like, I don't know, there seems like there's something missing between these next two moments. Right. Yeah. But the next day, wisely, Sean finds himself knocking on the front door of Elise Rainier's house. He introduces himself as Quinn Brenner's father, and she lets him inside. This is when I put together in my mind that after everything she experienced, she didn't reach out to call them or try to help them or anything. Yeah. (laughs) She slept the night through. She's like, yeah, I thought you'd come. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long way. I shouldn't have to do this. (laughs) But they sit together at Elise's dining room table, talking over tea. And Elise tells him about her first meeting with Quinn, 
how she told her that she doesn't give readings anymore. She tells Sean that she wants to help, but this ability she has to reach the other side, she promised herself she wouldn't do it anymore. But you already backslid on that. Mm -hmm. Like you told Warren. Did you lie to Warren? (laughs) Maybe she's like after, look, I, I told Warren. Yeah. And then I saw a demon (laughs) in my basement, dude. I'm not. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm allowed to change my mind. Fair (laughs) enough. There's a deleted scene where she tells Warren she changed her mind. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, Warren. (laughs) Sean admits that he's clueless about all of this, which really isn't a surprise because he doesn't know what a blog is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's not really plugged in. But he doesn't know what's real and what isn't. He only knows that Quinn is real and that something is trying to kill her. He doesn't know what to do to stop it, but he can't lose Quinn, not after what happened to Lily. Elise gives her condolences for Sean's loss and steps over to her window where her eyes meet a framed photo. A framed photo of Jack Rainier, her late husband played by Adrian Sparks, wearing the vest that she lovingly clutches every night as she sleeps. So sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Somber music rises, Elise musing that loving someone is just delaying pain. Eventually, you're going to lose them one way or the other. Elise shares that a year ago, she lost her husband. He took his own life. She says there are so many things she needed to tell him. Something as simple as goodbye would have been nice. Sean watches as Elise steps over to look at another photo. This one of her and Jack smiling and wearing, sorry, <laughs> I, this, this moment is very serious and very sincere. I don't know what why. What did you write? I, I wrote that they're wearing <laughs> Christmas themed hats. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't just write Santa hats, dude. Christmas style, Christmas related. <laughs> Right. Adjacent. <laughs> Dude, that's a t- I'm so mad at myself because this moment is really serious. Yeah. It is. And it's heartbreaking. And yeah. you ruined and it. ruined it. <laughs> Christmas themed hats. It was like one in elf hat. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sorry, Just everyone. like off brand. <laughs> great value Christmas. <laughs> but Elise admits that she tried to contact Jack. She couldn't help it. She instructs Sean that there are two worlds that live beyond ours, telling him to think of them as light and dark. The score grows a little eerie as Elise says that she explored the dark looking for Jack, something she had never done before and something the living are not supposed to do, and something followed her back. Do you think she ever gets sick of explaining this to people? <laughs> I, I know I would. Because I feel yeah. like in every movie she's like, listen, <laughs> there's some shit that you don't understand. Let me break it down. We don't have a name for this place yet. Yeah. We don't have a name for it yet. Let's just call it the dark. I will say, though, it does come back up from what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Her saying that she knew that Quinn tried. Yeah. Maybe it's not coming from a place of, I know these things. It's coming from a place of, I did. I've been there. Yeah. Okay. You know, so that's that's another interesting wrinkle to add that's to it. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. But she says it was a woman, an entity driven by evil. And Elise says that whenever she uses her ability, she can hear this woman screaming in her head over and over again that she's going to kill her. Worry washes over Sean's face as Elise puts it simply. If she continues this work, that woman will kill her. But Sean is a compromise. Just visit Quinn. 
Elise doesn't have to do anything else but talk to her. Interesting reaction. Mm -hmm. But But what what does it mean? (laughs) Because this is when I'm like, is she talking about Parker Crane? Yes, but yeah. Yeah. But Elise was not the one that brought this entity or that this entity had beef with. Yeah. Well, but the entity has been mucking about. It's been prophesizing. but, But wouldn't you recognize from a thing that you did yeah. some years ago Rem- that it was yeah. that bitch that you were well everybody dresses like that <laughs> <laughs> everybody that's the costume over yeah. there yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying everybody's a haunted bride it- <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> where like, the confusion what? comes that <laughs> wasn't for you that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't you no but maybe <laughs> I don't know well but she's been and no but she's been dealing with it since young josh yes that's what i'm saying that was that's already happened because we saw young elise doing this yeah Yeah. in part two and there's a scene later where we're really told yeah (laughs) i guess that's fair because there's really no reason for elise not to remember she's seen the photos that lorraine took. yes that's Mm -hmm. right all right and she's like some mysterious woman i don't know I do not know. <laughs> you know? <All> right. Insidious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is know. insidious. Yeah. <laughs> right now, the only out that I can give Elise and the screenwriting mm-hmm. is that she says that she's only heard a voice. So maybe she doesn't recognize the bride in black yet because she hasn't seen the fit yet. <laughs> <laughs> And then when she sees the outfit, she's okay. like, oh, shit, yeah. I've been fighting you for like 30 years. <laughs> so she's 70s. waiting to put a yeah. face since the, the 70s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I, yeah. I will get barely, dude. I'll All give right. it to you, but barely. All right. <laughs> but later that day, Sean opens Quinn's bedroom door and in walks Elise. She sees Quinn resting in bed under her blankets and turns to Sean to tell him that they'll be just fine, just the two of them. Elise eyes the cracks in the ceiling, fidgeting a bit with her scarf before sitting down and gently waking Quinn, who is glad to see that she came. Elise jokes that Quinn is lucky that she looks good and white. I was like, Quinn's like, Elise, I'm very injured. Yeah. <laughs> like, that Why is are not, you here? Yeah. But I will say, I guess this does speak to Elise's personality. Yeah. She's always like that. And that this is the first time in the film that she has felt like her. Yeah. Yes, that's true. The her that we know. Yes. But Quinn breezes past that and asks plainly what is happening to her. Elise explains that one night after Quinn came to see her, she had a vision of her. Quinn was standing in the dark and a man was walking toward her, a man who couldn't breathe. Elise shares that she's been to that dark place too, and it isn't a place for pure souls. It's very dangerous. When you go there, things come back with you. Quinn tearfully expresses her desire not to die, and Elise assures Quinn that she has a long life ahead of her. So you're telling me that you're having these I saw you in an orange grove visions about me, (laughs) and you didn't pick up the phone? I'm upset. I'm upset. I saw the man who can't breathe (laughs) advancing on you. Yeah. Yeah. So Elise is like, oh, shit, and then just goes to sleep again? Sure would would be Quinn right now. So if her dad wouldn't have went over there, what? I, She's like, I said I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I told you already. I warned you. 
And I will say, I guess, is that vision the same vision that Quinn had in the hospital when she was in the emergency room? Uh, oh, probably. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah, because that was right after. Yeah. yeah. Although it did take Elise a few days to have it. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm. It couldn't have been at the same time. That's a bit Well, you much. know, like time zones or whatever. Yeah. The further's got to have its own. Yeah, Wheeland Park is far away. We, said <laughs> <laughs> we already said that. But later, Elise sits between Sean and Quinn, the room only lit by a flickering candle. With her eyes closed, Elise announces that she's here with Quinn Brenner, and she wants to speak to the entity that has attached itself to her. As the camera presses in on Elise and the room grows darker, sounds of movement and rustling are heard, and when Elise opens her eyes, she's all alone in the vacant apartment on the floor above, the entire scene taking on a blue hue with no orange glow of the candle down below. She sits up, and after taking a few steps forward, turns around to see herself still seated in her chair. I am such a sucker for that. It's yeah. a great Every single time. Yeah. I love it. A lantern on a nearby nightstand begins to emit a glow of light, so Elise picks it up and takes it with her. Quinn and Sean on the floor below hold hands with Elise, who still closes her eyes and has just begun her journey into the further. Or as of yet unnamed (laughs) plane (laughs) of spirit. The dark plane. The dark spirit existence. (laughs) My next line, in the further. (laughs) We all know what it is. Yeah. Elise continues down the hallway outside the vacant apartment, the lantern lighting her way in the darkness, and at the end of the hall, she sees the very red doors of the elevator. I do want to say what wisdom it is as filmmakers to reuse these same sets and just light them a little differently. Yeah. That, the cost saving of that. Oh, yeah. So smart. James Wan and Lee Whannell were geniuses. Mm -hmm. But she walks towards the elevator but it's stopped by a woman played by Corbett Tuck standing in the doorway of her apartment. I, okay, so I think this is Corbett Tuck. Mm-hmm. There is a, she is drenched and soaking wet mm-hmm. from rain above, mm-hmm. but there is also a credit of somebody as dead woman in bathtub who we never see. No. Yeah. And so I'm confused. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's okay. All right. We did our best. We yeah. did our best. Because I know I mentioned it earlier and I was like, and she's not even in the film at all. And I'm like, I think this might Wait, be Wait, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe she is. <laughs> but she is drenched, shivering and crying. Elise asks her where the man who can't breathe is and the woman ignores her question, just muttering that she wasn't trying to upset him. Her breaths shudder as Elise continues on. But in another doorframe, she encounters another woman played by Aaron Anderson and with her back turned to her, all Elise can see is her long black hair. She reaches out for the woman, but the woman's hands suddenly pull her hair apart, revealing a face which shrieks for Elise to get away from her. You got a boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I want no parts of this. I will say, though, I always love how this looks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm kind of roaming around this as of yet unnamed plane <laughs> mm-hmm. and seeing all these like it's so sad it yeah. is. but again just like the first insidious i want more like of who these people were i know that that's not what we're here for no but you know it is it's it's very sad and very fleeting which i guess is what elise experiences but i i just would like to know 
more who these people are. Like, this is why it would make sense for me for kind of Grace to be here trying to yeah. warn okay. her or yeah. anything, you know? And it's assumed, I guess, that these are people that died in the building. Yeah. Yeah. And Rain Ghost, Backwards Head Ghost. <laughs> What's the story here? Yeah. yeah. You know I mean? Who are you? Yeah. I, yeah. And did you do that before with the hair thing? Did you trick people? It's like kind <laughs> of impressive. <laughs> it's wild, She's man. like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> but very startled, Elise stumbles over to the elevator. And when the door is open, she steps onto the elevator car. In the flickering light of Quinn's room, Elise lowly mutters, I'm not going any further. Sean squeezes her hand. But Elise does continue further, and the camera finds her through the fog as she steps off the elevator and into another hall. I think that her saying that is leading to later. I'm not going any further. Because the li- it comes mm, to her so... Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. It's like you had to have been. I see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> but her lantern grows distant in the darkness, And as thunder rumbles around her, she discovers that she's standing in front of a house, a house that looks very familiar. Mm -hmm. Yes. As maybe the second house that a family moves into. Eventually. Eventually. In a few years. (laughs) Vaguely. Yeah. But Elise does not recognize this house and she lets herself inside. After surveying the living room, she finds a grinning woman seated in a chair. This is Lambert woman played by Fawn Irish. Okay. I right. don't know how. Yeah. I was that is interesting. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, what the hell are you smiling <laughs> at? <laughs> Please stop smiling at me. Oh, yeah. I don't like it. I don't mm-hmm. like it. But then again, you remember all the, the doll face? Uh, yes. Yeah. They were smiling. Oh, yeah. They were. They were. So some people like it here. You know, and I love that for them. Yeah. Or maybe they've grown to like it. And I well, don't love that. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I've changed my vote. <laughs> but Lambert Woman points Elise forward and sings, I always wanted to know how I will go. Tell me, friend, how I meet my end. No, thank you. Is yeah. <laughs> that just the standard here? That you're yeah. yeah. That's just the greeting. Or anything, yeah. Right? That's personalized, is it? That's your hello? (laughs) (laughs) What's your... I don't want to know your goodbye. (laughs) One star. Yes, yes, do not recommend. (laughs) But her smile unbreaking, she disappears as Elise passes her by. I thought that looked really cool. Yeah. I loved that. Honestly, this entire sequence, I loved. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, even that, and you bringing that up, I'm glad you did because when she walked by, I was like... Is she there or is she, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And when she passed by and she's gone, I was like, that's oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but out of nowhere, arms outstretched in a sinister smile and draped in a dress and veil is the bride in black, played by Tom Fitzpatrick. The bride seizes Elisa's throat, forcing her into the chair. Very reminiscent of a scene in the 2010 supernatural horror film, <laughs> Insidious. <laughs> <laughs> Elise clutches her throat in real life, too, rising from her chair as Sean and Quinn try to wake her up. Elise finally snaps out of it, gasping for air, and tears in her eyes, she tells Quinn that the woman who was trying to kill her was waiting for her there. She apologizes, telling the Brenners that she can't help them. She gathers her things and quickly makes her exit, pulling away from Sean, who tries to stop her. So, on its face, I love this. 
because we all know what it means mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you think too much about it the way that elise is i don't believe that she had a premonition of her own death and did not recognize the room when mm-hmm. she walked into it mm-hmm. did not recognize the chair did not nothing i don't it's the same chair yeah it's, it's the, the same, same house. Yeah. And this is when she should have been like, it's that little Lambert boy's yeah. ghost or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And she keeps records of all of this. Yeah. yeah. We've seen that's, her room. That's the only thing. It is very fucking cool in concept. Mm-hmm. But the character that we have come to know, I just, I don't believe, I don't believe that she would not have seen it coming. Yeah. I just don't. I just, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I just remembered Lorraine's vision of Ed's death in The Conjuring 2. Yeah. <laughs> when he's like, hey, Lorraine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and he's like, what? It's, yeah, it's, it's so funny, dude. I don't know why. It gets me every time. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. I don't know. Yeah. At that, that, like I said earlier, too, that's it's the same thing. I had the same problem. I was like, okay. But we know that you knew because when you were there, you did that whole, oh, that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? You you're right. You're right. Yeah. Damn it. Remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Even if you didn't know until Dalton and then you got into all that, when you made him stop remembering, you did have the pictures. You did talk to him. Mm-hmm. You did know what was happening. How did you forget that? And that was even further away than, you know, this and in a few years. Yeah. When her, you know. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. That I forgot about that when he points to it. Yeah. She's like, oh, I, yeah. I remember <laughs> 40 years ago. I yeah. remember what. That's, I didn't uh, forget. No. Damn. Yeah. You're right. There. Yeah. I got nothing. Mm-mm. But later, Sean stands behind Alex. Remember him? Oh, oh yeah. shit. <laughs> That's why I was like, is was this kid added in post? Like, yeah. I, does he live here full time or not? He filmed all his scenes on green screen. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. It's really him under the mask. Huh? Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> I would have got away with the dude. It's like, what the fuck? That's where you've been? Yeah. We never find out who drove the car. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 it's just a callback. But Alex directs Sean's attention to a computer screen. He assures his father that these guys can help. On the screen, against the background reminiscent of The Matrix, we see an episode of Spectral Sightings. And we're going to get to who and everything. Yeah. We only see one of them in this scene, but we yeah. get the introduction later. Yeah. I did want to point out because the view of like The Matrix code. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because in 2003, Lee Winnell was in The Matrix Reloaded. Really? Yeah. He was even in the video game tie-in into the Matrix. That's amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that means something to him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I thought that was wild. What would he do in the Matrix? I think he he played a character called Axel. I think he was one of the like, um, whatever whatever the ships are called in the Matrix. He drove one of them. He drove oh, one. okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was the captain of a ship. There you go. Just, yeah. He drove one of them. <laughs> I, I love I, it. I think because he was like the dude in the first one that gets uh, blasted, but then he blasts back. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, tank and Dozer. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 
I don't remember their names. I just yeah. remember one of them didn't get invited back because I think he asked for too much money. And oh, that, okay. That might be why Axel was in the second one, honestly. I don't I haven't seen these movies in years. Yeah. Oh, no. damn. But he might have created an opportunity for mm. one Lee Winnell. You yeah. know? <laughs> for all I know. Damn. Yeah. He Terrence Howard did uh, himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if he's on Roy Jones' ship or if he's on Jada Pinkett's ship. I'm sorry I forget the the character names on right. there. Um, but he is. He is a crew member, and he is there. Uh, I guess he's helping them uh, upload them to the Matrix when they need to, mm. and he's kind of at their command center, if that's the part I'm thinking. And I do. Rem- I think that makes a lot of sense because the game that the tie-in is yeah. is following jada pinkett's character okay okay then i think that's the lobo they're on okay i'm trying to remember <laughs> i love that this is we should title it i'm um, in cities chapter three slash <laughs> figuring out shit for the <laughs> <laughs> all because of a screen on that's that. so no. funny <laughs> but on the screen we see specs played by lee winnell as he begins to investigate a haunted hospital and Sean, without having seen much of anything, thinks Specs looks like a fool. I saw in an interview where Lee Winnell talked about directing himself. Mm-hmm. And he said that he was flippant with his own performance and just did not care as much about it as everybody else's. <laughs> so he said he'd do something and be like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like, I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just knocking my scenes out of the way so that I can direct. Yeah. Them. yeah. <laughs> You're the ones that need help. But Alex tells him that these guys found a haunted house and they cleaned it, telling his father to trust him. But Sean doesn't. Alex, who seems to be up to speed on everything happening to his sister, (laughs) even though we haven't seen him in weeks, (laughs) tells his father that they have to do something. Sometime later, we see the black spectral sightings van parked outside of the Brenner's apartment building. Sean stands with Alex, introducing himself to Specs, who is wearing a Casper jacket. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Tucker, played by Angus Sampson, who stands stoic with his head shaved into a mohawk and eating a very blue angel food cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a couple things here. Right. Um, first, sick mohawk. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. we love Specs and Tucker in this house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And if there's one thing about Tucker, he's going to eat. He's going to have himself a snack. My only (laughs) beef here is if you're going to have him eating a cupcake, specifically if you're going to have him eating a cupcake with extremely bright blue icing, Mm -hmm. the continuity... I'm going to be looking at the cupcake. Yeah. The continuity in this scene is wild. It it is. From him eating it face forward to being behind his shoulder and seeing how much cupcake is left, Mm. it fluctuates insanely. (laughs) And sometimes he has blue icing on his hand and sometimes he doesn't. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I was just hungry, but I was looking at the cupcake. It goes off and on. Yeah. And and, um, there's something later about that. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) (laughs) But Sean shares that Alex is a big fan of their website and Tucker corrects him, web series. <laughs> Alex gushes about an episode featuring a haunted hotel and a boiler room ghost, The Shining. Mm. Oh. Take a shot. And he did make everybody watch The Shining. He did. Yeah. Yes. All right. There we go. But Tucker remembers this episode and thanks him, saying that it was some of his best editing. Specs agrees and says definitely some of their best editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read on, uh, it was movietrivia.org, and then it was 
for this movie uh-huh. when I was doing research, and that line was for the cupcake. That's because it comes off and on the icing back and forth. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that's that is really so funny, yeah. actually. But it seems like it's just going. But the, every time you come back, the, it's got icing. Then it's got no. Oh icing, yeah, it's then all it's over icing. the place. Yeah. That is hilarious. <laughs> that's very meta. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> But Sean asks if they do this ghost hunting stuff all the time, and Specs says that they definitely do, admitting that they literally don't do anything else, just this. <laughs> Sean asks them what happens now, and finishing his cupcake, Tucker responds, probably five, maybe four. Everyone looks at him in confusion, but Tucker then turns his head, revealing an earpiece because he's apparently been on the phone the entire time. Come on, man. Really? Yeah. <laughs> He excuses himself from the phone call, saying you'll have to call them back because he's with some peeps. Now, I will say I think that this is something that they had done on purpose where they're trying to make them look very unprofessional. Yeah. Yeah. Because Angus Sampson had said something in an interview how it, it's kind of not just the origin story of what Elise is doing, yeah. but it's also this origin story of Specs and Tucker becoming... I love okay. that. Because you see the influence. Yes. Yeah. I, I love I love that. But Alex takes his cupcake garbage and Sean leads them into Quinn's room. I will say if you enjoy hearing Sean say what happens now, <laughs> this last <laughs> section is the section for you. Yeah. He says it about, I think, at least 37 times. He yeah. wants to know what happens now. <laughs> But Tucker places a small camera on Quinn's forehead, which Specs explains to Sean is basically a hidden camera. Only Tucker explains it's not basic and it's not hidden. They're going to keep it right out in the open to capture anything that happens at night. To Tucker's exasperation, Specs says that they do hide it sometimes, though. <laughs> Why, though? Why? <laughs> They're so yeah. funny. They're back and forth. I love it. They've always been like this. Yeah. Lee Winnell and Angus Sampson are friends in real life. Okay. And so a lot of the time, it's really just them bantering. Yeah. It's <laughs> You feel that. Like yeah. the comfortability and the just like, oh, this fucking dude. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. But Tucker also equips Quinn with a lavalier microphone, which will capture all the sound in the room, with Specs instructing Quinn to just go to sleep like she normally would, and Tucker concurring holding a handheld monitor and telling Quinn that they're the ones who will stay awake. But at a restaurant, Elise sits at a table, lit overhead with a beautiful array of glowing lanterns. Lanterns. Lanterns? Ah. And what color were the lanterns? Orange. They did not look orange to me. Well, the lanterns were red, but the light was orange. Well, you know, because I thought that it was strange that Insidious Chapter 3 was a giallo film. Oh, nay. I didn't know that going into it. The door was red. The door was red, too. So, I mean, that's just undeniable. Look, 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 look. (laughs) (laughs) I I just thought it was interesting because you're the giallo guy and you didn't say, oh, it's a giallo film. Like, I defined it out on my own. I just thought that was weird. I have let you get away with this. (laughs) (laughs) Very kindly and... (laughs) (laughs) but carl elise's old friend played by steve coulter approaches her table and takes a seat telling her that it's been too long carl carl Carl. (laughs) (laughs) elise smiles telling him that she saves him for special occasions she looks over photographs of a young josh lambert played by garrett ryan And through the photos, she sees the bride in black growing closer and closer to Josh. And Elise recognizes the bride as the entity who is after her. 
She's like, oh, I have seen you before. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Only one of the scariest cases I've ever. Literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Elise believes her threats, which is why she had to stop using her gift. But she confesses that now she realizes her gift is all she has. It's all she is. Carl disagrees, telling her that she's more than just one thing. And she's been helping people get rid of spirits for so long that eventually one would. <laughs> this is a wild concept. <laughs> one would come after you. It's like, yeah. Why do we assume this? You're yeah. fucking. You're fucking around. Yeah, but you're good at it. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> you're not using it for evil. No, for personal we gain. all slip you're not... up, man. <laughs> One's eventually going to chase it's a Russian you roulette. and threaten your life. I mean, come on. <laughs> but he then embiggens Elise telling her that she's stronger than this spirit. She's alive. Yeah. These words are said by Elise, I believe, in the first film. I love that. Okay. I think it's That's when... That's true. Yeah. Josh, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. But Elise agrees that she is alive, but concedes that she spent more time on this earth among the dead than with the living. She asks Carl if he really thinks that they help people. And Carl smiles, assuring his friend that they do what they can. He says if someone is attacked on the street, they go to the police. But if they're attacked by something they don't understand, they can come to them for help. He holds up the photo of Josh, reminding her how much she helped this family. He says Josh is a grown man now with a son of his own. And we all know that he's talking about Dalton because everyone forgets about Foster. Because even if it's 2007, Foster's alive, dude. (laughs) (laughs) He's still there. Maybe not the baby. Right. But definitely, you could have, you really just could have said a family, yeah. a family of his own. Yeah. He's just like, he has one son that matters yeah. <laughs> to the plot. Yeah. No, and so. I think another fucking kid's up. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but Carl tells her that he doesn't want her to stop helping families like this. They need her too much. So I did see in an interview that Carl was added later to the film. Okay. And he was meant as kind of what they quoted as connective tissue between this prequel and the two films from before to kind of tie it all together to the previous chapters. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I But at the same time, it is kind of wild that Elise didn't remember. That's the thing yeah. for me. I do like seeing Carl. I do like seeing this relationship before we see it in... Um, the second one, mm-hmm. but I don't believe for a second that Elise would not remember Josh, especially when Josh's mom was able to just get in touch with her. Yeah, like they stayed like Facebook friends or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That was, you know, that part doesn't really ring true. But I will put it to the side because this scene is nice. Mm-hmm. It yeah. sucks because we know what happens. Yeah. It's it's kind of giving no no no. He'll get you after school. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but it's like you know you know mm-hmm. it's still sweet. Yeah. But at the Brenner home, Alex sleeps on the couch while Tucker monitors the feed and Specs and Sean loiter around, bored as hell. But suddenly, all the lights in the house begin to flicker before shutting off completely. Tucker alerts the group to the monitor when Quinn seems to wake up and get out of bed, navigating her room without the use of her wheelchair. This, to me, I know we talked about Poltergeist parallels with the first Insidious, but this literally feels like poltergeist yeah yeah them sleeping in the room waiting for something to happen yeah, at night you for know sure but in pov shots and slow steps quinn makes her way into the hallway tucker urges a fearful specs to investigate with his flashlight and he does breathing heavily with his heart racing 
But when the beam of his flashlight reaches the hallway, it blinds Tucker's camera, but there's no one there. His screen still occluded by light, the three men reach Quinn's bedroom, and once they do, they see that Quinn's view is now inside of her closet. Sean reaches for the closet door, and we watch from both angles as Sean sorts through hanging clothes to find the camera resting on a wall. This was kind of funny to me because Sean goes through those clothes like he's trying to find something to wear. <laughs> yeah. It's like just there's no urgency. <laughs> split it down the middle, dude. You don't even have to it was, yeah, at you all. know very yeah. funny to me because I'm like, this dude is fucking <laughs> clueless, dude. It's like she's got a Pixies tank top. <laughs> That's mine. It's cool as hell. <laughs> but as Sean picks up the camera, turning to face the group, he realizes that Quinn took it off and Quinn suddenly appears behind Tucker, which takes him a moment to realize through his view on the screen. He screams wildly as she kicks him to the floor with her cast before bashing her father with a red wrench. He clatters to the floor before she slowly approaches a defenseless Specs, who eats a shot of the wrench himself. Did they all really just stand there? Yes. And yeah. let this teenage demon ghost <laughs> hit them with the fucking wrench? Like a cartoon big wrench, too. I, yeah, it was big. I think the only one that has an excuse is Tucker. Yeah. But Sean just watches it happen. Yeah. And he eats it in the face. Yeah. yeah. And then Tucker, I think it takes about 15 minutes for <laughs> to get over there and yeah. finally clobber yeah. him. So, yeah, there really is no. But the men watch from the floor as Quinn kicks her legs against her bedpost, shattering the cast on her legs and shaking them off of her, freeing her injured legs. She's made a full recovery. Yeah. <laughs> Should we focus Yay! on the positives here? <laughs> she tears off her neck brace as well, cracking her neck before snagging a box cutter that I don't know why was there. Yeah. And she she knew it was there too. Yeah. She just picks it right up. And the blade's already out. Yeah. yeah. But she moves towards her father on crackling, unstable legs. Sean begs for her to stop, but a voice coupled with another escapes her mouth, telling Sean... You're a useless fucking father. Your wife had to die to get away from you. And now I'd rather be dead too. I will say this has got some evil dead vibes to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you're grounded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you will, I don't want to be spoken to that yeah, way. Like, uh, this is so sad and harsh. Mm -hmm. And a great use of the one fuck yeah. that yeah. they get. That is true. But I was like, damn, Sean, you can't catch a fucking break, man. He's like, I'm still recovering from the wrench shot. <laughs> I'm not going to remember most of this. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about insult to injury. Yeah. God damn. But Quinn says that she's going to keep Sean alive to watch him suffer. She's going to keep him in the dark until his pain finally kills him. She puts the box cutter to her throat, but Sean, Spex, and Tucker all rise to their feet to subdue her on her bed. I love that they're like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> now, we gotta, <laughs> now we gotta stop her. <laughs> As she screams against their restraint, Spex peers into her mouth and sees the withered, blinking eye of the man who can't breathe. Bra. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, okay. That was yeah. so good. <laughs> He is very frightened by this. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understandably. Alex, though, appears out of nowhere and with Sean's insistence, hands him a wire to tie Quinn's hands. 
Afterward, Sean asks Specs and Tucker what they're supposed to do now. (laughs) (laughs) But they admit that they're not qualified for this at all. Tucker says that they sit in dark, empty rooms. That's all. This is beyond their experience. Sean rages at Specs and Tucker for being a couple of internet pranksters, as he says, and Alex has to stop him from kicking their asses. And he tells them, you didn't do anything. And it's like, dude, they did this. Yeah. If they didn't come and put that camera on her head, they didn't stay up and watch her while she was asleep, mm-hmm. she would have been gone. Or yeah. she would have came and killed you and the kid who's here sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the surrogate foster yeah. for this film. <laughs> <laughs> like, they did do something. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry this got to be to a point to where they were like, look, we haven't this before. Yeah. This, but they did help. And wouldn't you rather that than them rolling up their sleeves and being like, I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll we'll try. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because like, again, he doesn't know that the conversation with Elise and Carl happened. Uh-huh. So when they brought Elise, the, as far as they know, she's like, bitch, I'm, my name's Paul. Like she yeah. left. Yeah. These are the only people willing to help you. Mm-hmm. So tone down yeah. the fucking attitude. <laughs> but he does kick them out of the house. But as they turn to leave the room, they get their shit absolutely rocked by a returning Elise, who I guess has a key to the place or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but Elise tells Sean to let Specs and Tucker stay because she might need their help to get rid of the foul parasite that's attached itself to Quinn. But we cut to Sean sending Alex away for the night and the rest of the film to Ernesto's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, you're still here? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> no, he turns. He's like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Who is this? It's like, Elise can stay. I don't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you come from. <laughs> okay, because I'm not going to lie. I thought he was like, I love you. Go to your room. And I was like, <laughs> I must have missed the small where he was like, go to the neighbor's room. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, what the fuck's happening? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was already kind of still, because he had kicked him out and all that. And I was like, fuck. Um, but so I, I, I guess I missed that. But I thought he was like, I love you. This is too much for you. Now go to sleep. You can't <laughs> like, give me dinner happening. and then tell me to go to my room. No, you dude. And you guys are doing this shit in the next room. Absolutely what do you give him for dinner not. fear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Alex refuses to leave until Elise sidles next to him, telling him that they know he loves his sister, but he does not want to see the things that tonight might show him. She assures him that Quinn will feel his love. Sean bids Alex good night without any kind of hug or reassurance <laughs> yeah. or anything. He's, He's like, later, son. Yeah. <laughs> like, How do you keep getting in here? <laughs> we gave Elise your key. Yeah. <laughs> but Alex does walk off screen and out of the film (laughs) but the group collects in the living room Tucker icing his leg on the couch and Specs seated next to him Elise explains that the entity that's attached itself to Quinn is very powerful it used to live in this building but it's been alone for a long time and it's feeding off of Quinn she goes on to say that these things in the dark usually want to possess the bodies of the living so that they can leave the dark and return to life But there's another kind of spirit, an even worse kind, that does not want to leave the dark, but wants the souls of the living to join it in the shadows. I'm going to go to the store. (laughs) (laughs) If only there was a word to describe these spirits and their intentions. Mm -hmm. Sinister? Yeah. Close. That's not it. Close. (laughs) We'll get to it. 
Elise says that Quinn is only half of a person now, and after the accident, the entity got half of her soul, but it needs all of it, and if they don't hurry, it's going to get it. Sean asks what they're going to do. (laughs) And Elise responds that to get Quinn back, she's going to have to go where the entity lives. She lifts Tucker's monitor, asking if he can record everything, even in the dark. Tucker answers confidently in the affirmative, referring to himself as the technical part of the team. Elise suggests that he get everything set up before turning her attention to Specs and asking his contribution to the team. Tucker says this ought to be good, and Specs says it's actually great. He's the writer of their blog. Sean's like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) I thought I told you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) I will say I I paused the film to work on my script, Mm -hmm. and it was very funny to see a picture of Lee Winnell with the subtitles saying, I'm the writer of it. That's hilarious. (laughs) That's hilarious. It was very, very meta. (laughs) But this earns Specs the role of transcriber of everything Elise describes during their session. I love them meeting. Yeah. I love roles being assigned. Yeah. Elise enforcing order to this chaotic little duo. Mm-hmm. I loved every part of this. Yeah. This little interaction with the three of them, I did enjoy. Mm-hmm. That was my note. Everyone got their job. Good shit. Yeah. Because you see where it was established and they've followed it since. Mm-hmm. And there's even more upcoming. Yeah. I love these. This is what a prequel in my mind. Right. You know. But we cut to the group along with a tied up Quinn seated in a circle in the orange glow of candlelight. Elise announces that she'll be going into another plane, which Specs jots down on a small notepad labeled Specs Notes. She tells the group, Stay strong, no matter what happens, no matter what you see. But when Specs continues writing and speaking out loud, she scolds him for doing this, and he apologizes. <laughs> He's learning. He just yeah. got the job. <laughs> but before they move on, Specs asks if this plane has a name. And as Elise stares into the flickering light of the candle, she suggests that they call it the Further. Iconic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Specs agrees that it's a cool name. He did name it, technically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know what? Whoever thought of that, Elise, great job. Yeah. Great job. Brilliant. <laughs> but Elise asks for quiet as into the further they go. She whispers that she's there and it's dark and she's entering a hallway. We then see her with a lantern in the further, wasting no time, reapproaching the drenched and shivering woman in the doorway who stopped her earlier. She asks her if the man who can't breathe made her kill herself, and she asks her to show her. They head upstairs, the elevator doors opening and the lantern lighting their way. The woman points to an apartment door, and Elise opens the door as the woman says his voice was always in her head. She was his pet, but now he has a new pet. I just want this explained more. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the motivation. I, I don't. Who are you? Yeah. What, why he's doing this? Yes. Because I was a little happy that we went back and I was like, oh, ghosts. Do you know what I mean? The ghost stories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's see what's going to happen. And then we get that tiny ass little bit there and then that's it. Yeah. It's very creepy. Mm -hmm. And even like the terminology, his pet. Yeah. And what we saw earlier, that is very scary. Mm -hmm. I just, who the fuck is, who is this? Yeah, I don't know. 
But the woman reaches for Elise, shivering, telling her that there's no way to undo it. Even death couldn't get her away from it. But Elise soothes her, telling her that she's free now, before entering the apartment alone where she hears breathing. She marches down a hall, opening a door and finding the man's black sludge on the doorknob. But when she walks inside, she finds another man with his back to her, seated on the edge of a bed. She commands him to turn around, but before he can, the bride in black reappears, choking Elise against the wall. Waiting in the wings. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere you want to be. This shit is yeah. on his <laughs> side. As Elise struggles, the bride tells her, this is how you die. But Elise remembers Carl's encouraging words. She's stronger than this spirit. She's alive. With renewed strength, Elise rips the bride's hands off of her and sends the entity flying across the room. She fixes her scarf, antagonizing the spirit with a, come on, B-word. It's like, damn. Yeah. Oh my God, damn. She says the B-word. Yeah, yeah, she does. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But I laughed out loud because the bride retreats hilariously. Oh, yeah. yeah. She like, didn't want no smoke. No, no, no. It's like when you bully a bully back and they're like, oh what? my God, <laughs> this is what it feels like. <laughs> I did laugh because during this altercation and they're all in the circle, while this is happening, Elise is like making, you know, she looks like something's wrong and they just kind of look at her like, Huh? <laughs> and then it passes after. They're like, damn. Yeah. Once the, uh, the bride in black or lady in black goes away and just kind of like, fuck this. <laughs> and Homer's away. They, it just We go right back to what's happening. What's wild is that Quinn and Sean saw this before. Yeah. And saw Elise's initial reaction. She left. Yeah. yeah. But they're like, I'm she'll, sure she's yeah. <laughs> she'll power through she'll it. She'll figure it, it out. <laughs> But Elise picks up her lantern, making her way around the bed, telling the man seated there to release Quinn. But when the light of her lantern reaches his face, she discovers it's Jack. He greets her sweetly and asks her to sit with him, telling her that he knew she was here and he had to find her. The score grows sentimental as through sobs and shaky breaths, Elise tells Jack that she's missed him so much. They embrace, and with tears in her eyes, Elise asks how she's supposed to move on when she didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. Jack tells her that she can move on, and she can join him. Here. She'd have to leave her other world behind, to stop breathing like he did, and stay with him. Here. He reveals a straight razor, telling her that she'll have to do it herself and he can't help her. She takes it from him, eyeing the blade as he asks, Don't you want to be with me? Elise acknowledges that want isn't a strong enough word, and she knows that her turn to cross over will come, but she says that she also knows her Jack would never ask her to do this, and she knows that this is the demon. She slashes at his face with the straight razor, and as the thing that isn't Jack shambles into the darkness, screaming in pain, Elise threatens worse if it doesn't release Quinn. Elise did not come to play. No. This was the dirtiest trick, the meanest thing that could be done. It It's rough. I will say there was a lot left to the reveal for our benefit. Yeah. Because I feel like if I... <laughs> If I see my partner like in a grocery store like aisle and I'm approaching them from behind and be like, oh, that's Jules. 
I wouldn't be like, yeah. who is this? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was Release like, Release her, yeah. Tina. <laughs> oh, it's my oh husband. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you knew. Sorry, yeah. Jack. You, you knew who it was going to be. <laughs> of course. But yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you didn't recognize him? No. I thought you were a demon, dude. Uh, you couldn't tell that man was using 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> you knew who the fuck he was. You didn't have There's to get all yeah, You didn't have to get all the way around. She's like, Harlan? <laughs> <laughs> But the demon returns from the shadows, frail and gray in its hospital gown and oxygen mask, at least demanding that it gives Quinn back. But instead, it just claps its hands, and suddenly, at its feet, appears Quinn on all fours, a fragment of her soul, missing her hands and her eyes as she pounds her limbs against the floor. So that was Quinn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah. Elise, full of life and resolve, tells the man that he may have half of her, but Elise is whole and she's very strong. She then pushes him very weakly and (laughs) (laughs) snags Quinn from the floor. But before they can escape, the man stomps his foot on the ground, sending debris and furniture clattering all around them. See, if she would have learned the mechanics to this fight first, <laughs> she would have known all you had to do was jump when the stomp happens. No damage. You're fine. Yeah, yeah. no damage. And then just run away. Yeah. Because you say that's what happens if an elevator yeah. breaks, that's right? Jump. Yes. You just jump. <laughs> it's the right time. Yeah. You get one shot. <laughs> yeah, that's it. One opportunity. Otherwise, you're liquefied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two options. You're completely fine. Yeah, dude. Or you're liquefied. What do you think happened in the elevator at the Overlook, dude? That's somebody. Oh, no, yeah. They jumped at the wrong time. Got it. Noted. <laughs> but in the real world, the room begins to shake. While in the further, Elise grabs Quinn again, the score growing tense as they rush to the elevator. The man in pursuit, they escape just as the doors close. They make it back to the apartment where Elise's vessel is. And inside, before they can make it down the hall, the man reappears, and with a forceful push, he sends Elise flying back into the living room and landing face down. As she collects herself and looks up, she sees the man crouch down to a cowering Quinn, petting her softly. But when Elise rises to her feet, he meets her. She runs for him and then pushes him a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little. Just a little bit. (laughs) Before stomping the ground, creating a massive hole in it, and sending the man tumbling to the floor beneath them. Oh, so she's done this before. So like Mega Man, once you beat them, you get their power. <laughs> That's pretty Love cool. Love it. Like, oh, all right. Good for her. <laughs> Elise then grabs Quinn, and they run for Quinn's bedroom. And though Elise is able to return to her body, Quinn remains in the further. With Elise awake and back in the real world, Sean asks what's happening to Quinn. And we see the man who can't breathe in the further cradling Quinn in his arms. Elise urges Quinn to wake up, and they all grab Quinn's hands as she tells her to stay with them, to wake up, and to remember that this is her home, not the further. In the further, Quinn's fingers begin to grow out of the stumps of her hands, and in the real world, Sean asks if Quinn is dying. Elise simply answers, Yes. Well. You want, I mean, do you yeah. want to lie? Yeah. 
I will say that her the half of her soul becoming all of it mm-hmm. in the further yeah. is an excellent visual. Yes. Yeah. It's such a great representation of just her self being stripped away. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good. It's so good. But Sean is furious, yelling for Elise to bring her back. He says she said she could bring Quinn back. Are we done? Am I leaving? <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. Shut up and fucking just yeah. let me do what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Sean, we're working right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> You're done. We're doing this. Good Lord. Yeah. We're in the middle of it. <laughs> Elise just asks for his help, and they both begin to call urgently for Quinn to return to them. But suddenly, Elise rises from the circle, hearing the voice of someone else, a woman who died here in this building recently. Grace. She calls out frantically, asking, what book? Over and over until her hands rest on Quinn's diary. She opens it to the back and finds a letter taped to the cover, a letter from Lily for Quinn to read on graduation day. You've been writing in that diary this whole time? And you never opened the- And you didn't see something taped to the front? Well, it's the back cover. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, this was not enough grace for me. No. No, not at all. And I don't know that we ever saw Quinn with her diary with Grace. I don't think so. I, d- I can't remember if she had it with her in the lobby, but I don't think she did. I feel like that would have been better. Yeah. yeah. To give like, oh, she knows this. But does that mean that Grace is just around and she's like, or she's talking to Lily about the diary? So Lily is yes. just in the cut and not answering anybody when they fucking call. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Me neither. So you'll talk to Grace, but you won't talk. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> well, the the line to Quinn was busy. I will say it that. was. <laughs> it was. All right, I'll give you that. But Elise realizes that Lily was trying to get her to read the letter early. She was trying to reach Quinn. And if you recall, Quinn said that her diary was moving around. That uh, see, okay. that is the payoff. It doesn't even have to be this long because that was at the very beginning. Yeah. But that is the kind of payoff that I like mm-hmm. because you're like. Oh, yeah. Like, trust us to remember. You don't need to do it immediately. Yeah. But Elise tears the note from the diary, bringing it back to the circle. She closes her eyes, reaching out to Lily, begging her to help Quinn. And suddenly, in the further, the glowing spirit of Lilith Brenner approaches Quinn, leaning closer to her and whispering into her ear as the score grows dramatic and saccharine. In reality, The camera spins around the group, everyone with their hands on Quinn's, and as the circle continues, we see Lily is there too, placing her hand on top of everyone else's. In the further, Quinn raises her head, still in the arms of the man, and she reaches up defiantly, wrenching his mask off of his face, peeling it off triumphantly, and watching as he cowers from her, dust crumbling from his withered lips. She took his breath away. Yeah. Ah, not in the good way. No. No. <laughs> well, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. For everyone but him, really. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn wakes up in the real world, tearing through the cords binding her. So a bit of a metaphor about the being captive thing. Very oh, good. Okay. But Sean hugs her tightly. He thanks Elise, but she tells him that they had some help. She says someone else is here with them. Someone who really wants to talk to Quinn. With tears in her eyes, Quinn asks if it's her mother, and we see Lily standing in the doorframe in a lilac-colored dress. Quinn can't see her, 
and pleads with Elise, telling her that she needs to know that this is real. Elise tells her her mother is saying something about a stage, an audition. When Quinn was on stage, she wanted to know if her mother was there. Elise smiles, confirming that Lily was there. We then see Quinn on stage in the spotlight of the auditorium, and panning through the seats in the balcony, we see Lily watching her daughter from above. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's very. I'm. I'm trying not to get emotional. No, it's, <laughs> I was gonna say it's giving the that scene in the sixth sense. Yes. And you. I can't talk about what no. you want because <laughs> no. oh, we're not gonna make it through. But it. This was beautiful. Yes, and it's it's a repeated shot, kind of, but just a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. So it's like we saw this man. It's yeah. so It's so good. It was her mother's view that we were watching from. Yeah. That gives. It's very beautiful. It is. It is, but uh, so you've seen dude over there waving at me too and you didn't do nothing about it? He was also there. <laughs> <laughs> he was also showing his support. It, it was the back- <laughs> oh, your kid comes here too? Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, very yeah. cool. <laughs> it was a packed house. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you just see a smaller demon right. and he's like, I was waving yeah. at him. Right, which that's, one's yours? <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's so pissed off is because he's like, I'm here to fight yeah. and you what? got my son slot in the school? <laughs> <laughs> After your oh, shitty audition, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's not all that's about you, Quinn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Elise promises that Lily was so proud of her, and she wants her and Sean to know that she doesn't have to look for her anymore because she'll always be with them. She'll be standing right beside them, and even when they can't see her, she'll be there. And Alex too, I guess. Yeah. yeah, dude. Again, that's where I was like, "This is wild." Yeah, that's his mom too. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't get to experience any of them. No, and then she doesn't even mention him. No, she was like, "You too." Yeah, <laughs> I just feel bad. Like Ernesto and Hector, are like, so what's going on at your yeah. <laughs> at your place, man? We're hearing a lot the, of yeah. <laughs> We share a wall, and you're here, but then what's yeah. going on? The whole complex is shaking. Yeah. Oh that's right, because the son's room is on the other side. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Elise continues that anytime they feel confused or alone, she'll whisper in her ear. Through tears, Quinn asks if her mother is never coming back, and Elise confirms this, but with a caveat. Not to this world. Quinn hugs her father tightly, and he tells her that he loves her. Specs and Tucker tell Elise that she did a good job, and they do a little secret handshake, Specs pulling the pin of Tucker's imaginary hand grenade and the grenade exploding. <laughs> <laughs> Elise laughs, and I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yes. Yeah. But as the new trio peers out of the window, the camera follows them to the ground floor, where later, Specs and Tucker are loading up their van. When asked, they admit to Elise that this is the first time they've ever seen a ghost, and Elise shares that they never get used to it. I saw uh, an interview with Lynn Shay where she had said that the line originally in the script was, you eventually get used to it. And she's like, she goes, I think Elise wouldn't say yeah. that. Well, the fact that Elise goes over there and she's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> kind of proves that. I don't yeah. believe that yeah. you get used and to it. And then you think of the first film and she's like, it has hooves for yeah. feet. <laughs> like, that's not used to it, dude. That's still yeah, feeling quite frightened. You're very surprised still. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. yeah. But when Elise compliments the name of their team, Spectral Sightings, the two bicker over who came up with it. Elise puts a stop to it, the adult presence that both of these boys have needed for a long time. Yes. 
telling them that it's clear they need each other. In fact, they should all three go into business together. Specs reminds her of her warning that if she continues this work, she says it could kill her. But Elise acknowledges that everyone has to die someday, and she thinks that it's time for her to get out of her house while she's still alive. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. She extends the offer again to be partners, and when Specs and Tucker agree, they link arms with an overjoyed Elise to take her back to her car. But she has one more suggestion. Specs and Tucker should really think about wearing something a little better. Maybe a shirt and tie. Tucker says it'll never happen. <laughs> I don't believe him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe him. But that night at her home, Elise says goodnight to Warren, thanking him for looking after her. But she's perplexed when she doesn't find Jack's vest resting on its hanger where it is normally in her closet. She notices it, though. There, lying flat on her side of the bed, she glances around above her and whispers into the ether, I love you too, Jack. <laughs> Again, I'm trying to like... Yeah. It's very <laughs> sweet and we needed this sweet moment for yeah. the two of them after that bullshit that was pulled in the oh, further. Oh, yeah. Very fair. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I'm like, what is this salty discharge? <laughs> it's very sweet. <laughs> My eyes are wet. <laughs> <laughs> but she reaches for the vest, holding it close to her and breathing in Jack's scent from it. But suddenly... Warren rises from his bed, staring into the darkness outside of Elise's room and barking incessantly. The camera presses in on Elise, who seems to sense something, too. When we see the dog again, we see that he is barking at a small white face poking out of the darkness. But behind Elise, out of the shadows, lurches the lipstick-faced demon played by Joseph Bashara with a snarl and a musical sting. We're then treated to a pretty fantastic end credit sequence, mm-hmm. followed by the end credits. So, what did you guys think of Insidious Chapter Three? Real quick, that ending, I Woo! thought when I was watching it that I seen something, mm-hmm. and the and I was like, man. I was like, that's fucking creepy. Yeah. The, the white face. Yeah, the yeah. white face. I and was leaned in. That looks fucking terrifying. I actually missed it this last time I watched it and you pointed it out to me. Yeah. My TV, man, is too dark. <laughs> you got, we got to do something about that. Um, that was fun. I will admit the lipstick face demon did get a jump scare out of me, but that, that white face yeah. in the shadows... Woo! I think that, that got me. Yeah. The thing is, is I don't know who that is. I don't either. No. Because I'm like, that's not the long-haired fiend. From, yeah. From the uh, Callie's no. room, in the first one. Yeah. No. That's I'm like, who are you? Yeah, and I don't believe that Warren would be barking at Jack like that. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I no. Hope not. I don't think it's Jack. And I don't think Jack would be doing shit like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> is that my sweater. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I and the lipstick face demon. It is an interesting tie-in to be like you know, yeah, the thing to honestly to make you watch chapter three, chapter one, chapter two. Yeah, for sure. Yes. But what'd you guys think of it? <laughs> um, I really liked some of this movie. I think the confusion and kind of uh, I don't, I don't even want to say the lore, but it's just the confusion with you know this demon you you how did you forget that and then kind of the stuff around the other movies and then this being kind of a an a 
side origin side standalone movie i i don't i think it kind of hurt it for me because i do like seeing them where how they started and where they came from but it it it's a, it did feel a little odd that this demon didn't has nothing to do with the other two movies and i'm not sure if it has anything to do with the rest of the movies but i don't think it does and it's just kind of like what you know what i mean like because a lot of them they they stay within their universe Mm -hmm. and they keep characters to bring back for later Mm -hmm. or to explore in another movie that doesn't happen here it feels like we get the well the lady in black and then i mean that's very small you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but again it's already something that we know but i mean it it is a it is i think uh I think it is not the strongest of the three that we've covered so far. Um, but the performances were good. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think it was just a little bit of that muddiness for me that I was kind of like, well, because we we like these movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you do remember stuff from them and then you watch it again, it's like, huh, but you already knew that. But you were already there. But that's why that happened. Yeah. It's like, I don't, okay. But I did enjoy seeing them back together. Elise, we love Elise. Tucker and Specs, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it wasn't a bad movie. My problem with a lot of it is the end moved ridiculously fast. It did. Very. Everything. I don't want to say this movie was a bag of cliches, but there was a lot. And it kind of hurt it for me. Because the dad sucks, the teenage daughter is just the teenage daughter. Um, I mean, I didn't really get to know them too good. And I feel like, and then the the son, Alex, is just gone. He's yeah. there when he needs to be there, and then he's just fucking gone. It's the Wilbur effect. <laughs> yeah. The friends, the friends, I would have liked a little more interaction with the friends so we could get a better idea of who Quinn was. Mm-hmm. Give us just a little more. The mom, okay, the mom's there, okay, can I get some more backstory on that? Can I figure out what else is going on on that? Because, and then that too, like I said, I know it's not one of those look too deep into it, but if you were there watching her, you're in the further, you knew that demon was there. You seen him too. Yeah. You would have had to know. (laughs) Like, I wonder how Quinn's going to get out of this one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just watch. I'll just watch. (laughs) But it's decent. It is decent. I, I agree with that. I feel like I just love this universe. So it's kind of like pizza where it's like even when it's bad, you know, yeah. I'm still going to it's pizza. I'm still going to eat it. I'm mm-hmm. not going to, you know, um, I agree on the cliches. It does feel very checklist um, at certain times. But then you get those sequences and then you get the whole pet situation. Mm-hmm. You get these really great that floating white face. Yeah. Which was giving exorcist, by the way. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. You get these really great moments of horror that I know that Lee Winnell is capable of. So when you do get these cliched moments or these clumsy or clunky moments or, well, how come she doesn't remember that? But but Carl does. Yeah. You know, these things just detract because the universe is so good mm-hmm. and these movies are so good. That it's just like, damn, like when they do shit like that, it's like you're better than this. Yeah. Um, I will say I know that we're not at ratings yet, but I do want to say that I 
am probably not only speaking for myself when I say that when we finish this series, there's going to have to be some re. Yes. Yes. Oh, re, yeah. Um, Evaluation. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> re somethinging. Yeah. Um, because I think that we're all rating on the scores that we gave the first two. Yes. So I know that mine, once we get to the end of the series, is going to need to be nudged around. But yeah. Um, because this for me is the weakest one. Yeah, that's I what saw, I'm saying so far. Yeah, I saw the next one only once, and I haven't seen Red Door yet. No. But these three, this is the weakest for mm-hmm. me. I will tell you just from my personal opinion. Right. I really liked the Red Door. I'm excited. Okay. I think it's a pretty good conclusion to the series if they want it to be. Yeah. I did not care for The Last Key. I, I actually re- like it less than this one. Okay. Yeah, okay. I remember we watched it the once and that we were like, it. we're good. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think we really liked it either. But I mean, I, I do enjoy a lot about this one. Yeah. I like the element of the prequel and explaining a lot of things, mm-hmm. but there are a part, there are parts where it's like, oh, well that is a little incorrect. Yeah. And you do know it, especially if you know the universe so well. Yeah. And it's difficult because a lot of times you just want to, especially with films like this, you're like, I just want to, I just want to sit back and enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but then when you do a show where you break it down scene by scene, yeah, you're going to notice a few things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's a very ambitious thing to do to not try to just recreate what came before. Yeah. You're like, this isn't even dealing with astral projection. Yeah. This is possession. Mm-hmm. And I will say, although, because I, I really <laughs> love the astral projection aspect. Now. Yeah. Like, that's cool as hell. It you know, is. and I think I am a little upset. <laughs> 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 but I understand. And I do appreciate this idea being something new. Right. A new method, a new cast of characters. I don't really care for a lot of the characters. Yeah. And some characters I would like more time with. Yes. Okay. Like you said, especially Maggie and Hector to know these people. Yeah. I want to know Grace more. I'd like to know Grace's relationship with Harry more. Yeah. I'd like to know Grace's relationship with Quinn more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For her to say, no, I know her. Yes. Yeah. How well? And Quinn's like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. It's like, what the hell is this? Like it feels. And then that I don't, that doesn't endear me to the protagonist. No. No. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I, you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm glad you didn't get into theater school. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you were mean to a lady this morning. Yeah. Who was just trying to be nice to you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about karma and all that. Yeah. (laughs) I will say I think what followed later was a little too much. That was too far. The pendulum swung too far. Yes. Maybe stumble your lines a little bit. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. I'm not asking for all for all the other ninety yeah, minutes. No. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I do I do appreciate a lot of it. I do appreciate Lee Winnell's uh, little seeds of foreshadowing. Yeah, I like that elements of the monologue are the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. where she says that line about her th- or this person, I don't know, giving her life. When she was about to leave this world and she was dying. Yeah. That's literally the last scene. Yeah. So that's really that's cool. That's great. Okay. And it feels like just, oh, this is just a monologue. Maybe it's Shakespeare. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but it's really just setting you up for when her mother does return. And she said this line in front of her mother. Yeah. Okay. Like that's, I mean, that's, that's really good. Yeah. But um, I think for me, the strength of it is those... uh well crafted 
sequences. Okay. The misdirection of the scares, the emotional weight of some of these characters and what they've been through and what they're going through. Mm. Uh, that last shot of her mother in the balcony, like I struggle. Yeah. <laughs> And then the shot of Elise at the end when she's telling Jack she loves him. Yeah. I struggle. It's heart wrenching. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It it really is it's a it's a decent film. Yeah. But I guess that can lead us into ratings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've really said just about everything. I've yeah. uh I think the thing for me is I, I do really appreciate the performances. I appreciate the production design, this feeling and atmosphere of the further. Mm-hmm. Joseph Bashara's score and his opportunity to do things a little differently yeah there are a lot of sentimental songs in the score yeah that are very sweet and very uh heart wrenching right it's not all clatter and fright yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is what he excels at yeah yeah, and he's great yeah (laughs) but i i liked him uh getting the chance to do something more Mm -hmm. more as in quantity not more as in right Hot Better. above this, yeah, sir, because yeah. we all know I love the clattery. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think, and I love these little ties to the other films. They're mm. a lot of fun. I love with the little Easter eggs for the people who love the franchise. Yeah. Little things that you're like, oh, all right. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Granted, some of them don't work if you think about them too hard. Yeah. But it is cool to see Carl again. Yeah. yeah. It's cool to see the origin story of this amazing trio. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's, you take the good, you take the bad. Yeah. But on the negative side, it's just kind of the narrative, the expedited third act. Mm-hmm. When she takes the mask off the dude and that's it, I was like, that's all. I know. That's yeah. all you had to that's do. That's all you had that to do. It. You could have done that in your room. Yeah. Almost yeah. an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's it's that. And I think that it's um just some of like a little bit of uh, clunky connections. Okay. Because I think that... Even adding a few scenes could kind of repair some of the cracks in the ceiling, we'll say. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. But for me, out of 10 beleaguered breaths, I am going to give Insidious Chapter 3. I'm going to give it an extra 0.5 from what I was going to give it because I do really love the feeling that this film leaves me with. Okay. And I love this universe and it's just, it's, it's, it's comforting. But I'm going to give Insidious Chapter 3 6.5 beleaguered breaths out of 10. I will watch this movie again. Yeah. And I'll probably try to... It's it's not as strong of a pairing as 1 and 2. But I maybe I will try to do a 3, 1, yeah. 2. Yeah. You know? And see how that goes. But uh, I think that's all for me. I've talked a lot. <laughs> so I will now open the floor to you. No, man, I think I think you said it best, dude. Like, it does do a lot of good as well. I know we are, and, and I did, you know, point out and nitpick <laughs> stuff, but, I mean, it is a good movie. It is decent. I, I, do, I do agree as well. It, is, uh, it isn't very strong as the other ones, but it is good. I would even say if we're going to watch the first two, let's just throw that on too. Yeah. Let's just add it. That's fine. It's not a movie to where I'm like, oh, I don't ever want to watch that again. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you're right. I will watch it again. And I won't, you know what I mean? That's not even a, no, like, yeah, I will. You know what I mean? There's, it's, it just because it's not as strong as its predecessors doesn't mean that it's, 
that bad to where it's like, I'm never watching that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still watchable. You know what I mean? It's still a good movie. I do the things you're saying that they do is is right. You know what I mean? I like some of the stuff they do there. Like I said, for me personally, it just knowing the universe and then them doing kind of to here and there. You know what I mean? It's like, eh. and, you know, thinking about it, too. You're right. They don't say anything about astral projecting, mm-hmm. but at the end, they have to get back into their bodies where they were sitting down. True. Just like Dalton did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just like Josh did. Yeah. yeah. So did you know about this when you did this for, because you knew Josh was doing this yeah. when you helped him as a kid and made him forget. Yeah, she knows. You knew he was astral projecting. Is that not what's happening here? Because it kind of looks like that. I mean, even though you're not saying that in I, a different way. Yeah, but. it looks like it for Elise, but this I don't know what's going on with Quinn really. Yeah, with it's the possession. Weird. And yeah, he has half of her. And yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, it 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 is good for all the nitpick I did. <laughs> this is a decent movie. I will watch it again. And you're right. If I'm, uh, I, I'll throw it in there. You know what I mean? Fuck it. Let's try it. See how it happens. Yeah. Um. But for me, and I do agree with you, and I do agree with you too, babe. I think we're gonna have to move our scores around once we get to the other ones. For sure. Um, I, I did give this an extra point five. Okay. So, on a scale of one to ten, beleaguered breaths. You got it. I'm gonna give Insidious Chapter Three a six out of ten. So. I'm going off my scores from before, mm-hmm. so that's why it is what it is, and we will move it around later once we get through them. Yes. But um, it, I'd still say check out the movie. You know what I mean? Go watch it. It's Like I said, there's an origin story in there. Who doesn't love fucking <laughs> this trio? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then we go on to see them later. And yeah. then, you know what I mean? In the other two movies before this. But again, if it fits in, it fits into the story. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. I think that that's an important distinction when there are movies that we're a little bit disappointed by. Do we choose to revisit them? And this is definitely one that I will absolutely watch again. Yeah. I know that the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, just like, yeah, whatever. But watching it again, it's like, yeah, it belongs here. This, mm-hmm. you know, we already said it, the origin story and um, seeing the bride in black again and still yeah. having that mystery that we don't know what's what's going on there. And um Carl yeah you know yeah um and just seeing Elisa's journey is really I mean in a way it's it's pretty inspiring and um I mean yeah it is it's decent I know that we keep saying that but it's (laughs) like that I can't think of a better word to describe it honestly Mm -hmm. did it blow me away no did it impress me as much as the other two no but do I hate it no No. you know It is fine. There are moments that are great, but that average is just brought down when you have these other moments of what? Yeah. Do so you have two kids or you have one kid? Yeah. <laughs> like, can we can we just start there? But I mean, overall, it is a fun time. If you're marathoning Insidious films, absolutely throw it in the throw it in the rotation. Um, but I think that anything else would just be restating what we've already done, and we've yeah. all been here for a very long time. Um. <laughs> So on a scale from one to 10 beleaguered breaths, I agree with you, T, and I came one foot in six and one foot in one foot in 6.5 <laughs> and it, it, it tipped it over the edge for me. Um, 
emotions toward the end and you know i'm it's it's good it's good so yeah. i'm gonna give it a 6.5 mm-hmm. on a scale from one to ten beleaguered breaths very good I will say you said it tipped it over. Did it tiptoe it through the tulip? Ah, yes. <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Insidious Chapter 3 and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Windigo Gitter patrons. And remember, while your talents may open doors for you, be wary of what might be waiting on the other side. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Windigo Gitter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Very good. <laughs> my voice no, is weak did it choke you yep I'm very, very I'm, good. I'm feeling very emotional after the end of that film <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros Kristen Lofton Megan Martinez Kimberly Bass Sophie Hodson Anthony Jerome M Jordan Nash Kent Morton Lala Thomas Travis Anissa Hunter Miguel Myers ATX Jennifer Perez Allison O'Neill Carissa TJ and Angie Bronson Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Aplanon Taveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sidney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donnie Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhard, Armand Spasto, Aaron Negeri, Eggie, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Nuding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poopoo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle, OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higuera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonigal, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie K. 
Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L., Heather Santiano, Abby Kopp, Crystal 831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skink Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., Dana Cook, August, Vincent Spirit, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazyface Mac, Jenny May, Zoe Marie, Glittery Fab, Malik Caselli Armstrong, Scarly D., and Toya Shea. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you all so much. We love each and every one of you, and we know we've gone far together, and you make us want to go a little further. Hey! Yeah. Yeah. Until next time.